Courtside Indiana, episode six, the Courtside Indiana podcast, and a little special edition this week. We're watching the NFL draft in, in real time here with Zach Osterman from the Indianapolis Star and Dustin DePirac from The Athlete. Both are uh, former, I guess, bloggers or probably the best or a, a simple way to suggest that on the uh the IU trail and, and both still cover Indiana university uh, athletics guys. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Thanks for, having for having me. me. Yeah. Um, gotten to know a little bit of both you guys here the last few years. Um, you guys are long time or at least relatively long time friends and enjoyed your work. And, and I, I appreciate you guys coming on today. Hopefully this is a little bit more conversational and less, interviewee but with that said zach what what what's atlanta going to do with their pick here at 16 we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on football but <laughs> not pick, we, we not, might but not, not pick up his option in four years lose some lose some playoff games painfully i don't know hey every every pick that a wide receiver isn't taken is better for the colts but who's who's atlanta who do you want atlanta come on zach let's go i I really i I honestly um i mean i I think calavin chase on from lsu intrigues me Um, i know he had some injury issues kind of later in his college career i know when he's when he switched on he's um you know, I mean, his 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 ceiling is probably top five pass rusher. Um, but when you're picking at 16, you know you 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 know you're you're getting a guy who um, is good enough to be, let's say, top five, but isn't consistent enough. And it's funny, like I think a lot of times we talk about um, when we talk about sports we see differences in players as a matter of talent and athletic ability. And I've heard this a lot. And if you, you know, if you guys had any prop bets on how quickly I'd turn this to soccer, um, you know, within two minutes, um, <laughs> what people and what people in soccer will tell you is that the difference between like the top players in the best leagues and, you know, let's say the league, you know, cause you, in, in, in leagues in like Europe, you usually have two, three, four, professional leagues and they're tiered the difference isn't actually talent it's consistency it's can you do it 10 times out of 10 as opposed to three times out of 10 or five times out of 10 or six times out of 10 and so when you're talking about picking at like 16 you're going to get a guy who's got potentially anyway you're going to get a guy who's got you know elite talent but he's got a consistency issue whether that's production whether it's his ability to repeat fundamentals whether it's something mental or emotional. Um, so I just can't get, I mean, well, irrespective of the primary reasons why I just can't get excited about, uh, Falcon football. Um, I can't get excited about picking 16th and, you know, I'll be thrilled if whoever they land wins, uh, wins Atlanta two Super Bowls. Honestly, I'd just take one at this point, just one and then shut it down like one. And then you can do whatever you want you know, move to Oklahoma city. I don't care. 
Just give me one, and that's all I need. For those who don't, Dustin's know, got like nine. I know, Zach's, what, what, Dustin. What's your? Where are yeah. you? What's your team? I think Dustin's what's won your... a third of all the Super Bowls that have ever been played. No, is he, I grew, is he I a Patriots fan, or him, I guess I, I, uh, oh, okay. You know, I mean, I feel weird still saying that I am because I covered them for a year, and I feel like unprofessional just even acting. That's like, right. You did you say know. that. You but, did do that. But yeah, that's who I grew up rooting for. So I mean, I was. I mean, I only saw two of those, but all the same, I saw two of them, so I can never ever complain again. So, you know. Well, I I grew up a I grew up a cowboy fan and kind of found myself drifting more towards the Colts when we drafted Manning. Sure. And I remember it was it was at an IU basketball game when I realized when the Colts played the Cowboys the first time Manning played the Colt or played the Cowboys that I realized that I was a Colts fan above a Cowboy fan, and I I remember listening to that game. Um, heading down to an IU, I can't remember who IU played that day, but it was, I, I just remember thinking, man, I really hope we beat the Cowboys. And for me, that was definitely a switch. And uh, it, it's easy that my, the team I grew up with is in the NFC and the team that's local is in the AFC. So I still get the root for both without being too disingenuous, but, but, um, you know, obviously I've in, enjoyed bits and pieces of both programs or both franchises having success. So, um, in, in that I've never liked an Atlanta fan. Of course, Zach and I have, I, I send him some DMs every now and then kind of taking shots at Atlanta just in general. So we kind of have that. Um, we've, we've, we've dealt but, with uh, much worse. We have, I just don't, yeah, I just don't care about Atlanta. I just don't give <laughs> a, a, two F's about them, but, um, but, um, they're one pick away. They're on the clock, actually. So we're we're about ready to have. I think them. they may trade. Twitter says they they may trade back, but they may trade back. All right. Well, we'll find out. We're going to find out here pretty soon. One one more one more Georgia question, Zach. Before we move on, Who, who's worse, Trump or Brian Kemp? You know, I mean, the the, the city of Atlanta is is ignoring most of this, um, and, and you know, I mean, listen, I I try not to get. Super no, political, good. but I, I mean, I think I think what what worries me um, beyond the obvious, you know, is someone whose dad works part time at Lowe's and, and is you know concerned about yeah. it right now. Um, it's just also that what this will do to small businesses because I think genuinely, just a lot of people won't come back. And yeah. if if things are reopened, I'm guessing people are going to lose rent protections, and so then you're just yeah. gonna. You know, your problem's not necessarily going to be social distancing. It's going to be that all of a sudden you're required to pay your rent. And if your landlord won't just give you a break out of their own, you know, kindness. And I think you're going to see a lot of people's businesses fail way too fast. It, it, is, it has been weird because the, the place I hang out in the most, the, the bar slash restaurant where I belly up and watch a lot of sports while you know, eating dinner and they, they probably were better off closing right now. And so that way their, their employees can get, you know, unemployment. And, and in that I I'm a regular, I know a lot of the employees there. And at first it was a, an issue and it was, I mean, there was some concern, but I've seen slowly that their, their benefits are trickling in. So it's, it's worked out. And luckily we've had a governor here, at least my interpret, my, as someone who leans a little bit left and our governor, our geo, our Republican governor has done quite well through all this here in Indiana. So I've been so far we'll, we'll see, but, um, 
Anyway, on the diff- I I don't know why I'm going to involve myself in this, but I would say that there's a drastic difference in Midwestern Republican governors and Southern Republican governors. It's remarkable. I mean, and, and I think you're right. Like, yeah. Just respectfully, I think there's been a drastic difference between Midwestern Republican governors for a very long time. Fair. And oh, I don't Missouri, I don't think we need to go Missouri. down that wide, <laughs> muddy highway. But I, 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 I want to say, too, that I, I have been impressed. My, my wife is, has to listen to the uh, press conference every single day. Uh, is also working for Zach in the Indianapolis Star, and uh, just from here, I, I have been impressed with the way he's handled things. Just being, yeah, straight. I agree. Forward. So, you know, ho- hopefully um, it doesn't drag us into anything. But ultimately, just I, I think you have to do, give credit for to Governor Holcomb for how he's handled this. Oh, I'm yeah, fully support. I, you, today you get my vote. I'm I'm not a straight ticket guy, I'm, mm-hmm. but again, we're not too, getting too deep into that. It's just funny that the. Atlanta's getting close to being on the clock and, and Georgia's governor seems to be a whack-a-mole <laughs> and Zach is bleeds ATL. So there you uh, go. Just timing is everything. We'll, we'll move on to more blood. comfortable things. A lot of blood. <laughs> we'll move on to more comfortable things. So when we first hatched this scheme last night, we, we didn't necessarily know that, that Demise Anderson was going to tra- was going to transfer later, later last night, it became sort of news and, some things can be said more directly than others, but now that it's official, Zach or Demise Anderson's on the on the or he's on the transfer board. He's in the transfer protocol on his way. What um, any just between you two? Any thoughts? I mean, I've got my own, but definitely want to hear from you guys first. Any either one? Just blurt it out. Let's go. Zach, you want to start? Sure, I'm a I'm a professional blurter. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, I think we can we can all certainly connect certain dots with Demasi Anderson's career. I mean, he, he didn't score a point in either of his spring semesters at Indiana. Um, you know, when I wrote my player wrap up on him this year, I said, and, and I genuinely believe this that anecdotally. And also when you look at his, his percentages, his tempo free numbers, um, you know, so sort of removing how much he's playing and just looking at the quality of his production when he plays, he did get better from his freshman to his sophomore season, but that was that stuff was was all still kind of marginal in, in the sense that you know the reality is that the the appeal of a guy like Demasi Anderson coming out of high school is his ability to score the basketball, and you know he wasn't a prolific rebounder in high school. He wasn't a lockdown defender in high school. You could hope you could make him an effective player in some of those areas in college. But the thing that that ultimately when I when I wrote and this was a couple of weeks ago now when I wrote my sort of season wrap up for him, I said the thing that determines Demasi Anderson's importance for Indiana is, is how effectively he can score the ball. And he just, he really struggled. Um, and, you know, we can probably point to a number of different things, be it mechanics or athletics or, you know, kind of just, just the, the things that sometimes lead kids who have high major potential not to be able to realize it when they go from high school to college. Um, but I also think sometimes we can get into these these moments and we want to break down, you know, oh, what's the, you know, give me some some sort of off the wall. I hadn't thought about that kind of take when, you know what, sometimes it just, it just doesn't work out. And I don't, I, I've never gotten any, um, I've never gotten any sort of vibe that he's a bad kid, a bad teammate, anything like that. Um, 
I know he was obviously a top 100-ish player with some Big Ten offers, some more Big Ten interest in Indiana picked him up. It made perfect sense for Indiana to recruit him, for Indiana to sign him. Um, and I think that certainly we've learned in the last few weeks now that the thing that sports just cannot handle more than anything else it can handle is silence. And so there always needs to be a conversation about something going on. And so when something like this happens, people need to have a conversation about what worked, what didn't, what this, what that. Sometimes it just doesn't work. And sometimes you just wind up the 13th guy on the, on the team. You know, you wind up 13th on the bench. And if you, if, you know, some players are okay with that. Some players say, Hey, I'd, I'd rather be 13th at Indiana than second or third someplace else. Um, but I don't think any coach would begrudge um, a kid who's 13th saying, I'd like to go find something else because that coach will understand that. Um, and I do think Archie Miller would understand that. And, and like I said, I just, um, it just didn't quite work out. And I think we all need to be okay with the idea that sometimes that happens. I'll, I'll pick what, up on, um, I talked to, I got a chance to talk to Demisi today and, and I first off got to say good. thanks to him. Uh, for picking up because a lot of times uh, guys will just kind of shut their phone off after they put the uh, the announcement up and just let it ride and you know not talk to anybody and I probably called him a minute or two minutes after uh, and he was good and he was really honest and I think um, you know because I, I had heard that that he he was happy and he wasn't going to move and you know he kind of took me through just what it was like he said you know what I I, I loved Indiana I, I loved everybody there I love my coaches I love my teammates and I'd always heard that that they did I mean I think you see he would uh you know, um, you'd see some of the uh, things up on the scoreboard where they, you know, ha have those kind of like Q quick Q&As with guys, um, you know, just like, and, and it would always ask, you know, who was the funniest player on the team? And guys would answer to Mizi. And it always seemed like he really got along with those guys. Um, but he said, you know, like it, when the season ended, I, I wasn't thinking about it. It wasn't something I was really considering. I liked the place and I thought I wanted to go back. And you know, over time, I just had some conversations, you know, with family and, you know, kind of them telling me, hey, you know, think you should go somewhere to, to play somewhere else look at what you're dealing with you know look at your situation look at how much you played so far you know do you, are you sure you don't want to look around uh and find a better place to go and he said you know i that made sense to me um you know and, and it's not something he necessarily had thought about but he really considered his situation and realized hey you know, I'm, I'm not getting any minutes here and there's not necessarily a future that says that he definitely would i mean you're you're you know the situation doesn't change that much uh for him next year it doesn't get a lot better uh, with Devontae Green leaving, it's not like there's a whole bunch more minutes for him. And you bring in Anthony Leal and Jordan Geronimo and uh, and Trey Galloway. They're all kind of playing his position-ish, at least, uh, you know, two, right. three type guys. So it's like, okay, where, where you know, are the minutes going to come from? Um, but he was, you know, I, again, he was just really honest about it and said, you know, that's that's what I wanted. I thought about it and I, you know, wanted someplace where I could play more, someplace where I, I know I would have a chance, somewhere place where I knew I would be able to to help somebody. And, and you know, I mean, I think that's obviously a realization that, yeah, you're probably going to go have to go down a notch. You're going to have to go to, uh, you know, mid-major school, you know, a, a, you know, a, a lower league, someplace where your athleticism is going to stand out that much. You know, and I asked him too, like, what do you think? you know, what do you think didn't go well? What do you think you need to get better at? And he said, you know, IQ and, uh, you know, get to be a better passer and just get to do some other things like that better. Um, so that tells me he was being honest with himself. I mean, he was, uh, you know, he, he was listening to what coaches were telling him. It was the same thing I think a lot of fans were looking at and seeing like he's just got a, got a better idea what to do with the basketball when he gets it. He's got to do a better job 
uh, defensively. I mean, I, th- I think he did make big strides like Zach said. I mean, I think he was a better defender this year for sure. Um, he, he wasn't as clueless with the ball in his hands. I mean, you, you saw some big strides, but it's, you know, like going back, it just didn't work out. It's a case where you only have so much time to really put yourself in good position. Um, you don't have all four years, really, you know, to to get yourself in that spot. If, if you're not figuring it out by year two, uh, people are going to pass you by. And, you know, ultimately they're going to put more value in the guys that have more time. Um, if you're still only a little bit ahead of the guys who are freshmen coming in and you're still behind uh, the guys who are veterans and you're trapped in the middle and you're not going to, you're never going to break through. You know, you, like there, there's just not an obvious way uh, for it to work. And I mean, you know, there were opportunities in both years. Basically there were, there were times when you would look at it and say, you know what they really need right now is a six, seven guy who can, uh, hit catch and shoot threes. Um, so, you know, there was an opportunity and that just means that the rest of the stuff that, that they needed him for wasn't quite there. Um, you know, Jerome Hunter, I think getting better also sort of uh, squeezed him out just a little bit more. Um, so again, it was just, I, I, he was really honest with himself, looked at the situation and said, Hey, this just, it, it just isn't going to get any better from a playing standpoint. I've played two years here. I've enjoyed being with these people, but you know, ultimately, I want to be a basketball player sometime uh, in my career. It's just not really, you know, looking like it's going to happen uh, in Indiana. So, I mean, I, I think he made, you know, it's an ultimately wise choice and, and, again, was gracious about it. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, yeah, I'm sure that was the coaching staff, I'm sure, was pretty accepting about it. I mean, everybody could see that writing on that wall. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it's one of the ones that made sense. I mean, I was a little bit surprised that it took that long, but I think that does tell you. <laughs> Uh, how much he enjoyed his time that he, you know, that, that it wasn't the first thing on his mind when the season ended. I, I think one thing that was clear was it was his choice. Um, I think that there was some word coming in that his maturity level has, has been a big positive um, and maybe not overall in the locker room because he's still one of the younger guys in there, but just his maturity level in terms of, just the, the the kids that he came in with and, and they're still kids at this age and and you guys both talk about him scoring the ball when when he is at Riley he was a guy that had to do everything in, including post up but there was never a whole lot off the ball I mean, I mean the ball sort of always went through him and at IU it seemed like he became sort of this catch and shoot guy that was something that even though he shot well in the summer, especially his 17 and under summer, um, and his final year or two at, at Riley, um, you know, off the ball movement was never something that he just really had to do. And, and when you're able to catch and be the scorer, especially in the summer against defenses, even though they're better athletes, bigger athletes, there's not a whole lot. Even the well-coached defensive teams in the summer are not teams that scheme a lot. You know, they're not teams that come out with some sort of scouting report. Um, they have good fund. They have good principles, or they don't. Um, but at Indiana, he was just this catch-and-shoot guy. And if you really rely on rhythm, if you really rely on being able to do different things at different times, and and aren't used to waiting around for a ball to come your way every now and then. I can see him struggling with that. And and if you're not shooting well and you're you're not the guy that's this quote scorer, um it, it just spirals. And it, it doesn't, you know, it, it spirals quickly into what what Zach had made mention of not only had he not scored, but I don't know how much he played 
you know, in the final. It wasn't much. It was something like like 43 minutes after the new year or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's about right. I mean, it just, yeah. I mean, all of a sudden he just became a non-factor. And I think separately, because again, I, I mean, the, the, the coaches, I mean, you know, it's not, it's not like they're able to speak on it or even willing to speak on it publicly. The, the coaches really liked him and it's, it's, um, it was a hundred percent his decision and, and not, not that they didn't reflect, Hey, this is what's happening. And, and I thought Dustin made a really good point. Um, it, it's, he's sort of that in between guy where once upon a time you would value experience, but now even today, even looking at four year guys, guys you think are going to stay in your program for four years. Um, coaches still today value upside more than the experience, you know, and, and, and that goes into the, what one point I wanted to make before maybe taking more comments or moving on is especially around Indiana, like the state of Indiana, people know who Leal is. People know who Galloway is. And, and, Leal might be a guy who can make an immediate impact because he shoots the ball so well, but they're pretty excited about Geronimo and, and not that they're not excited about Galloway. Don't I mean, this is just, this is just, Hey, we're looking at athletic things and ceiling versus floor and things like that. The, the Geronimo thing is they're pretty excited about what he could become. And yeah, he's got. I'm not some, saying he's going to be the next Oladipo, but he could be the next. No, um, but he's he's got some like a, um, my one-time competitor now colleague John Blau, who works for the Herald Times, talked to him for a story a, a few weeks ago, and like like texted me after he got off the phone. And he was just like, "I hope Geronimo is like scores 18 points a game. He's amazing to talk to. Like, yeah. you know, like, like that's that's the way sports writers see this stuff. Is we're like, who's the best quote? Like, can we get, you know, can we get a good game out of the best quote on the team every single night? So we're always talking to him at the end of the night. And he said, Geronimo is just, a, you know, he's a, uh, you know, infectious, outgoing, a bullion all those sorts of, sorts of different things. And, and again, it, it kind of comes back to the point I made earlier. And I don't, I'm not going to claim I know a lot about the kids game, you know, and obviously we will see what he becomes in college. Um, but like, you know, th- these kids aren't video game characters. And I think sometimes because we live in a very stat driven sort of world in sports now, and we certainly live in a very video game driven world in sports. I mean, hardly a freaking day goes by. I'm sitting here watching highlights of CD lamb. Hardly a day goes by during college football season. You don't see at least a dozen, you know, NCAA EA sports, NCAA football jokes flash across your um your twitter screen um twitter screen i said that like a 48 year old but you you get my point you do have to figure out where you factor intangibles in with these kids and you know i remember the first time we talked to oladipo in in college it was um who's Risteria, dustin you were there mm-hmm. and he was just a different kid yeah. And, you know, he wasn't very good then, at least not at the college level. He could run. He could yeah. dunk. He was all over the place. Um, you know, he was, I mean, in terms of the way he played the game, it was a little bit like watching my son, you know, chasing a soccer ball. Like it was just, 
you could tell he had some basic idea of what he was supposed to do, but mostly he was just bursting with energy and enthusiasm. And he was trying to figure out ways to corral that and, and channel it. But in the midst of all that, you just had this kid who had this unflinching belief in himself and his work ethic and his passion and his drive. And maybe even at some level, not to get too existential, but maybe even at some level, his destiny. And, you know, when, when you do get the rare kid, I mean, like Anthony Leal's a great quote, great quote, uh, because he's a smart kid. He's a thoughtful kid. Um, you know, he'll sit there and he'll evaluate your, your question um, and answer it in a straightforward way. But when you get the kid who's just really, really bouncy and really, you know, you don't want to fall into like the trap, the old money ball, you know, joke of like, Oh, he's got a, he's got a really hot girlfriend. So he must be super confident. Um, but like, there is something to looking at kids that not don't just have the talent, but have some of the makeup, you know, at a certain level to be willing to try dunking from the free throw line in a game, you know, and, and not ironically, not when they're down 20 points, but just because that's what, they think their body is telling them it can do. And then they act that way and they talk that way and all that different stuff. And so I, I'm not saying he's going to be the next Victor Oladipo, but I will say that, you know, standing there on the court after Hoosier hysteria in 2010, none of us thought Victor Oladipo would be the next Victor Oladipo either. Um, but we did see that there was this kid who had a lot of natural ability, who had a ton of drive and commitment and focus and, and wasn't really afraid at all to talk about any of it. I remember doing an interview with Vic and I'm rambling here. I apologize. But in 2011, before the Notre Dame game, um, cause he was playing Jerry and Grant. So I was writing a story about the two of them. Um, and I just remember a quote he, he gave me that's always stuck with me. He said, I just, I've got dreams, man, just like anybody else. And you don't get a lot of kids that are self-aware enough and confident enough to talk like that. And I don't think it's, again, going back to the idea that it's not always just raw talent. Like it's not because we can assign a value number out of 100 to Victor Oladipo's explosiveness and agility and acceleration and speed compared to anybody else and then decide he's better. Like it's about consistency. It's about self-belief. It's about those different things. And so sometimes I don't think it's wrong to stumble across a kid and be like, he just seems a little different. Sorry, that was a really long answer for a kid that I've only seen play in, in person twice. We, we went a lot well, of different places with that. That was enjoyable. Hey, that was Dustin, beside, yeah, before you get too deep in, Dustin, it's it's your turn now to say that you're not saying he's Victor Voladipo because now Zach and I have both said that, so now it's it's your turn. Go for I'm it. I'm not saying he's Victor Voladipo, but no, I mean, I think, um, uh, I don't know, I mean, you just look at, I think this – this group of guys and you see a, a lot of those good and interesting things. I think, um, you know, I mean, uh, and to, I guess maybe bookend that, if you will, um, I, you know, and I know he's not the same player. And I think Zach is going to tell me that there's definitely some discrepancies here, but uh, I saw a little bit of Sheehy and Galloway, you know, when I watched yeah, him last. No, I agree. I, mean, I, I don't, I mean, and again, no, I, I, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. And and, it, and I don't I don't know if it's at the level like Will was special at being Will I guess is the best way you could put it I mean um, he you know I, I, he's still one of uh, the most fascinating players I've ever covered just because he took a character and stuck with it 
um, for four years. And he just, he is that guy and he hasn't changed. And he is just, you know, like nastiest, most vicious, doesn't give a damn competitor I've seen. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't see quite the brashness that Trey does. I mean, the, the, you know, in, in Trey, uh, as with Will, I don't necessarily see him going to pro-am dunking on Lance Stevenson. And then, you know, I don't know, doing the, uh, I don't know. It was like the degeneration X thing. Um, but that was, a little bit. <laughs> I'd forgotten yeah, about that. That was, I, Hugh and I weren't sure that he was going to make it out of the gym that night. Um, but it was impressive, and it did, that told me so much about who he was. Uh, you, it was all three of us, right? That was when we were all going to pro am every every Monday, Tuesday, whenever it was. Yeah, not I'm not. I think it was Tuesday, Thursday, but either way, I'm doing the yeah, yeah I'm, I'm doing, doing the summer I mean, stuff, so I'm not. You used to get in the car and go to Shapiro's and stuff, and then go to yeah IUPUI. Yeah, well, yeah, those, those were heady days. They were heady days. Um, <laughs> but yeah, to get back to the point, and not just totally tangentized but there is a little of that edge i think and i i that tells you i think that um that's kind of what these guys are going after i mean i i you know what i, I was down in dallas last summer you know last spring i think you know i, I saw in the elite and i saw archie i think was talking to peaks and said something like you know trey galloway's not scared you know trey's just yeah. not scared and that's like I think the thing that stood out to him is you look at this kid and he's just not afraid of anything. He's going to go at whoever. And is the skill set perfect? No. Um, you know, he's got some flaws. He's not a great shooter, you know, but he just attacks. And it's just like, so you, you've got that kind of thing too, that part of makeup that, you know, you've got a Geronimo that's got some sort of Victor Oladipo notes to him, if you will. Uh, but Trey's got some of that will in him. And I think that's, you, you need both sides of that sometimes. And that's sort of how you really feel. Well, you that fits that works. You've got to you've got to walk on the court in every game, thinking you're the best player on the court. And it's not just because, pardon my language, it's not just because you're a dick. <laughs> it's it's because you're confident, you know. And that's, I mean, I've been pretty privileged with a lot of the kids I've coached over the years, and and. You know, whether it be, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those situations where you, you've got to have this confidence about you that even if, and you can have, like the, especially in the summer, you can have two or three of them on the same team. As long as they're good teammates, you're going to be able to play it through. But, but you might, if you, if you don't walk on the court knowing that you belong and, you know, you're not, you're not going to belong. And I've not seen, I've not seen Geronimo play. Anything to know about me is we've had these discussions kind of behind the scenes, if if not, I have certainly had with, with many others, where if it's a kid in the state of Indiana, I've probably seen him play a lot. If it's a kid outside of the state of Indiana, I've not seen him play at all, unless I've played against him. Even a guy like OG Ananobi, we, we, we played them twice. First game, he was hurt. Second game, he scored two points and two rebounds. And when he committed to Indiana, I was like, well, who the hell was that? And, you know, I went back and checked our, our stats because we chart every game. And he had, yeah, that's how I know he had two points and two rebounds. And to this day, I'm just like, I'm not sure what happened. If he, maybe he was still hurt or maybe all of a sudden, I mean, it was a good group I had, but and we, we probably were able to guard him pretty well. But, and the kid that guarded him was, 
you know, went to Indiana State. So it wasn't like he was some sort of schmuck guarding, but but at the same time, it wasn't a guy that screamed, hey, this kid's going to be a high major guy. He just didn't do much against us. And, of course, that's the same team where their their best player, and now his name is going to escape me, went to Texas Christian. Um, so it wasn't like it was a team that just had one kid on it that was talented. We just we just had good good players. And But – but you know, there there's that athleticism, there's that link, there's things you can't teach. And if you've got it from the neck up and you've got the and you've got the, the tangibles that you can't teach. Forget you know, sometimes it's not just about the intangibles, it's also about the tangibles that you, you can't you can't impact that greatly as a coach. That's where Victor comes into play. That's where you know, that's where um you know, going Going back to, you know, guys when IU was great, you know, the Cheneys, the Greg Grahams, the people like that that had just the natural athleticism, the natural length. And, oh, by the way, they were able to combine it with with high IQ, with skill, and with confidence. And and people really see that in um, – people really see that in, in Geronimo coming in. Hopefully that, that, play, that plays out. Um but another guy they see that in a little bit is Jerome Hunter. And hopefully he's able to get back fully healthy. I mean, I'm not sure we've been able to see that yet. Right now we're just seeing the guy who can catch and maybe shoot. And then he shot a little bit better the final, what, eight or nine games. Zach, probably you guys, both you guys probably have a better grasp of the stats than I do on that. But it just Yeah, he started like, I think, three of 23. Better. And he finished right. – Overall, I'm looking at the numbers here, 19 to 63. So he would have finished 16 to 40, which I think is right at like 40%. So, But but there's another level in him that that I feel like IU feels like he's going to ascend to. Um, and Armand Franklin may be another kid, too, or shifting gears through the roster here, that they think could make a bigger jump from year one to year two to help them especially offensively. You know, it's, what's funny about – you mentioned year one to year two, and it's a, it's a bit of a tangent in itself. Like, there's a very popular – coaches love to say year one to year two is the biggest jump. And in yeah. some ways, I'm, I'm sure it is in habits and in, you know, the physicality. You don't – there comes a point where you stop gaining, like, just raw weight. And it's, it's more about fine-tuning where your strength grows and, you know, things like that. But, like, actually, you talk to, like, strength coaches and the people that, that work with these kids, not just in terms of their physical abilities, but the, the way that you're trying to push their buttons and toughen them up and all those different things. They'll tell you that in some ways the bigger jump is sophomore to junior year because that's when you figure out the kids that are going to – are the kids that are going to get it because, like – and that's why, like, I'm I'm really curious about Rob Fennessy next year because I think Rob Fennessy can be a heck of a point guard. I think he's already a solid, very solid point guard. I mean, his numbers bear that out, but I think he can be really, really good. And basically what they say is, like, sophomore to junior year is when the switch flips. And for the guys that get it and the guys that understand and the guys that play with the edge and take no days off and all those cliches, all of a sudden it becomes real. Like, college isn't just – this fantasy land full of girls and parties and all the foods you can eat. And, Oh, if you're an IU basketball player, you're popular and you play in all these big arenas and what, like it's when all of a sudden it's like, Whoa, like, you know, 
there's more college behind me than in front of me. And I need to start thinking about what I'm going to do with life beyond this. And, you know, people are looking at me, expecting me to have the answers and on and on and on. Um, and I don't think you're wrong about Armand Franklin, but like, I, I look at, I look at guys like Ray Thompson and, and Rob Finnessy. Um, you know, I mean, listen, I, I think the most important player for Indiana is if he's back is Trace Jackson Davis. I don't think that's, you know, a galloping shock to anyone. But I would argue the second most important player is Finnessy because I think yeah. that it's, it's, it's whether some of those guys start to turn that corner in their own minds to think like, you know, actually, I mean, cause I even think about like when I was in college, like my first years of college, I was like, wow, this is great. Like, this is just awesome. Like I have friends and things to do and cute girls running in and out of my fraternity house every Friday and Saturday night. And then I got to my junior year and all of a sudden I was like, wow, I need to worry about graduating. Like <laughs> I need to, I need to find a job. I need internships and professional experience and contacts. Um, and, and people tell you that that's the switch that needs to flip. And I think particularly if you're going to run a program and, and manage a roster the way Archie Miller's talked about, which is very much the, the Jay Wright mold, the Tony Bennett mold, really, you know, people love to make jokes about Kansas recruiting and I understand why, but in many respects, the Kansas mold, go look at some of the dudes that have been stars at Kansas in the last few years. Like Devonte Graham was like in the eighties, Frank Mason wasn't a top 100 player. And you're talking about two of the most successful guards Kansas has had in how long. And they were both four-year players. My point is you're going to run a program like this, this way. It's perfectly fair. I think it's the right thing to do, but you need those kids taking that leap and you need those kids flipping that switch. And so that's you're, why I, you're, you're, I go ahead. Finish, no, to finish it, finish it. But I want to finish that because I want to go to the Kansas thing because it's it's interesting. It's interesting what you just said there. Go for it. But finish what you're saying. No, no, no. It's just it's 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 the if you're gonna if your if your roster management strategy is balanced classes, yep, four year three and four year players, you know that are basically whatever you know whatever verb you want to use, punctuated, you know, accentuated anchored by McDonald's all American types, but you're probably not going to sign more than maybe one, a class, maybe two. Then as much as you get excited about to use Kansas as the example, the Andrew Wigginses, the, um, you know, I mean, who are some of the other like elite players that have gone through, through Kansas recently? Who's the kid that got taken by the wizards? Whose name just suddenly completely escapes me. Um, Kelly Oubre, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. players like that at the end of the day, go look at who's anchoring Kansas every year. Go look at who's anchoring Kansas's teams. It's seniors, it's juniors and seniors. And so, you know, I've been the one I've beaten this drum loud and in many respects against the grain, um, that the, the roster rebuilding job Archie Miller had to do was a lot bigger than people appreciated that he was, he was essentially handed eight departures immediately because he had five seniors and three kids that left early for the draft, two kids transferred one. And I always say this one came out later and said basically that he'd felt more or less forced out and that's fair, but even removing Grant Galon, nine kids leaving your program, in your first 12 months, that's a, that is a complete roster rebuild. 
And it's taken a while to get the balance back, to get the experience back, to get his roster to a point where he's got basically as many juniors and seniors as freshmen and sophomores, or at least let's say third, fourth, and fifth-year players as first and second-year players. But he has that now. And if you're Archie Miller, what you need is for that switch to flip with the race Thompsons and the Rob, you know what you're going to get in trace Jackson Davis. And even at some level, if he can reclassify, you know what you're going to get in a kid like Christian Lander. What you need is the step forward that's taken by Rob Finnessy by, you know I mean? For all of his imperfections at times this year, I thought Al Durham took that step a little bit. Um, You know, the king of it is Tom Izzo. I didn't think Xavier Tillman would be anything when I saw him as a redshirt freshman. By his redshirt junior year, he might be the best defensive forward in the country. That's the step. Like, that's that's the, the program growth you need to keep taking. The, the interesting thing on Tillman, and this isn't what I was trying to interject on a little bit earlier, was because he played on an Indiana AAU team, his 17th under year, I've been getting calls on him from NBA guys and wanting to know my thoughts on him. Like, what did I see in him? And I'm like, no, I don't – dude, he's from Michigan. I don't know. Um, but it, it's funny the amount of traffic I've gotten on him just from the normal contacts that I have in just – and it's probably a handful of NBA scouts that have reached out to me, most on Indiana kids. But because he played on an Indiana team his 17th under summer, suddenly I'm getting phone calls. And, and not – that's just where you ended. Not that I know much about Xavier Tillman, but it's, but it's funny that he's made that jump now where, you know, some of those NBA guys are looking at him as, as potential, probably more of a second round pick, but they want to do their background work. But I've gotten three phone calls on him in the last two weeks. And it's, it's, and only him this time around, which is uh, fascinating that you bring him up. And, you know, the thing you said about Kansas it's the flip-flop of of what we're looking for, like the big names versus the guys you build programs around. You know, you, t- you mentioned Mason and Graham on one side, and you mentioned Wiggins and Ubre on the other. That is when, – when Romeo Langford came down to his final three, Kansas was among that group, and, and there was a – there was some behind-the-scenes talk. And, again, it's – it's guys who are extremely well-intentioned and, and certainly certainly wanting the best for a kid. Kansas wasn't really in the running, even though they were in his final three, because of the fact that guys went there, like stars went there and moved down the draft board. And it was the three- and four-year guys that were getting the favor. And it was almost like that was a negative. And – you know, when you look at it from a player perspective, it's just a different agenda than when you look at it from a team perspective. And and I don't know ultimately that Indiana wouldn't have been Romeo's choice, but the but the discussion then was is that Kansas wasn't going to be really part of the final equation, even though they were in the final three, or or however Romeo ended up putting out his list but it was it was interesting just the behind the scenes talk and and he had a pretty tight circle around him and and got to know some of those guys or a couple of those guys that were involved with that and 
and I'll and I'll vouch for the the people that were involved in in his recruiting process as far as not only just basketball people but people in general but just a different agenda I'm not judging it but just a different agenda and it was it was obvious that Kansas was like it's a more balanced system they're not they don't feature guys they don't do this for the kid they don't do that for the kid I mean sure it's a great program and it's tradition and self is a really good coach but they don't do enough for guys like Wiggins or they don't do enough for guys like Ubre. it's team over player and somehow that became a problem and I mean I don't think either one any of us any of the three of us being IU guys um, would would mind if Indiana became got back to a point where they were you know in, viewed in the same way as as Kansas um, but you know it's just funny you went that direction with it Zach because it brought up a couple of different things that that uh, really hadn't really touched or planned on touching on but um, you know it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how Archie handles um, I think he's in a good spot with his roster now he's this is finally his roster right I mean this is this is definitely year four so it, it's it's these are all now his guys with a couple of exceptions but at the very least, these are no longer there are guys in this team that have been coached by the previous coach. These are all guys that have come up through his system. Um, but they're really just kind of one or two shooters away or one or two guys from making being consistent shot makers from about three or four extra wins last year. Am, am I wrong on that or or is it? Is it, just, is it just simply know, just Dustin? You haven't talked. We got to get. We got to get that guy. Come on, Dustin. Damn it. Uh, I mean, are they one or two shooters away? I mean, that would. All I mean, they're definitely one or two shooters away. But if they're if they got a couple of guys that are hitting shots, sure. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I think that it, it, it's one of the things, the biggest things that they've had the issue that they've had the last two years is that um, they've just been structured in such a way that there's an obvious answer if you're an opponent in terms of how you play them. Um, you know, I think, you know, even like, uh, last year might've been even more, uh, that case it is basically if you just pack the paint and dare them, um, then that's the best opportunity you got. And, and this year was a little bit different where it was like, okay, you know, you're going to pack the paint, but we're going to, you know, have three guys that are going to have, have an opportunity to take you down and body you there. And, you know, maybe this will work, maybe it won't, but you know, maybe we can out athlete you that way. Some teams it was going to work with some teams it was. And so that was at least, you know, a good step uh, in the right direction, but you're right. It's it, the fact that in most cases you're still in a situation where if you're an opponent, um, there are three guys that you don't have to follow outside, you know, outside the perimeter. If Justin Smith gets the ball at the top of the key, you can defend him at the foul line. You know, you can stand back there. Uh, uh, same deal with Trace, same deal with, Joey, what you expect, you know, from a five guy, but mostly, most of the lineups, unless they were putting Hunter in there, uh, he was the only time that you had to, that, that you couldn't have three guys in the paint, more or less at all times. So they they obviously, something that can spread the floor and so that they're not easily scoutable. I mean, that, that I think could go a long way to them winning a couple more games and going from, a, a, you know, a 1920 win team to a 22, 23, 24, 25 uh, win team that's a Big Ten contender as opposed to just, you know, barely scraping uh, into the tournament. So, I mean, certainly I, I think that's definitely a place they could go. I mean, now still, you know, 
the numbers are bad. You know, I mean, like as far as the three point shooting is concerned, you know, 32% making, uh, I'm looking at this in conference play, 107 threes in conference play. I think that was last by a sizable margin, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so the shooting's got to get a little bit better, but they are, you know, they are ultimately showing more signs of being closer to what he wants them to be. Uh, to Zach's point also about um, just the, the roster rebuild he had, it just, it, it, and it also just didn't follow the same track. Um, you know, you, you look back at Tom Crean's and the one, you know, he obviously did himself no favors early, but sort of did himself favors for the future in the fact that I mean, he just completely burned the place down and that made it look, uh, you know, bad in the early going, but he got to rebuild entirely, you know, and, and not have to be concerned about anybody uh, really at all. Um, just, you know, being part of it, everybody was almost instantaneously uh, his guy. And, and so not too long in there, you start getting classes, you know, you get the 09 class that ends up being a foundation. And, and it took him a while to get, um, you know, he gets a class that big last year, but obviously he's got Langford that's gone, you know, Forrester that, you know, doesn't make it through the year. You end up with three guys, you know, Hunter is hurt throughout that. Um, so ends up not really being part of the class per se, you know, really the only guy that was a part of that class that's sticking around that, that operated as a true freshman in that class uh, and is still there is Finnessy. You know, you know, again, just looking at Hunter as a guy that didn't get to be uh, a true freshman in that class. So it's just, it's been sort of an awkward rebuild too. Um, and, you know, now, like you said, it, it's taken this long for it to start to, makes sense for their start. You, you can now start to look at, look at what he's going after and what he's getting uh, and seeing a plan. And, and then you look forward also to the 21 guys, you know, you, you know, Lander being on the borderline with that. I think Logan Duncan uh, is, is an interesting guy that kind of also shows you what you, what they're looking at is the guy that's got a lot of ferocity to him by uh, the accounts of everybody that's coached him is a guy that will go through you to get a rebound. And it's like starting to look like guys who have the personalities uh, on top of the skill sets. Uh, that Archie wants. And I, I think that's been an interesting piece too, is I, I think what's been hard for Archie to figure out as he's, you know, grown this team is I think it took him a while to realize he had to coach effort um, because I don't think he, he was a guy that you never had to coach that in uh, as a player. So he sort of looked at it as like, what, you know, I'm just going to tell you, you got to work hard. Like what, what, why do I need to be uh, all over you for it? You should just know. And I think it took him most of last year um, most of the 17, eight or the 18, 19 season to figure out, no, you, you've got to be on top of people and make sure, um, that they're doing that. But he's also getting, I think, personalities now that, that you don't have to do it as much. I think it's been more of a, uh, a focal point, I think for him is, is getting guys like we were saying before that have a lot of confidence, but also just have a lot of want to. Um, and so, so all of that is creating something that's much closer, uh, to the team he wants it to be. It's just taken a while for that. I, I think there was just all kinds of various, uh, variables at play that, um, you know, just put him in the situation that he's working himself out of. You, you know who the guy is you don't have to preach upon the idea of coaching effort to. It's, it's the guys you you don't have to preach to the guys you recruit. Right. You know, and and, it, and it's, not a, it's not a knock on Crean necessarily. It's not even remotely knock on Crean. It, it is a knock on the, some of the kids that Crean recruited that stayed behind or that were left behind that it seemed oftentimes are the ones that at least perceptively speaking that or perception wise weren't buying in weren't working hard consistently and and those dudes are well I mean he's still got one class of kids left that 
or one group of kids left that, that were recruited by Crean. But as far as guys that were coached by Crean, he's done with that. So now it, this is completely a roster of kids that only he's coached at the college or at the, at Indiana, at least. Um, I just, because it, it is, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, I just, I think, um, and time will tell if he's right. I think that there's certain things that it's just clear Archie will not compromise on. He will always want size. I, like I, I don't, I don't know that there will ever be a time where his roster is, unless something dramatically shifts in the strategy of basketball, and it already kind of has, and he's still doing it. Um, I don't think there will ever be a time where he intentionally builds a, a roster to play small. Um, he will always value rebounding as a central part of defense. And that sounds simplistic in some ways, especially when I'm talking to a coach, but I don't think no, it's, certain, it's huge. And I, well, and I certainly don't think fans see it that way. I think fancy rebounding right. is something separate from defense. If you, if you, if you are a dominant defensive rebounding team, your job gets so much easier defensively because you only have to do it once. Yeah, if you can't cl- and I'll let you if you can't close possessions, you can't defend. So yeah. continue. Go ahead. Um the other thing, and, and I'm not saying Archie is is some out you know, over his ski savant on this, but like I, I have this theory that I should probably try and prove at some point. Dustin, don't steal my story idea. <laughs> um writing it down. Like so Four years ago, there were 11 teams in the Big Ten that shot at least 33% from behind three-point line in conference play. Three years ago, there were 12. Two years ago, or let me rephrase this. It's the season that ended in 2017. So the season that ended in 2017, there were 11 teams in the Big Ten that shot 33% or better in conference play. Twenty. The season that ended in 2018, that number was 12. The season that ended in 2019, that number was 7. This year, that number was five. This was the first year, um, or excuse me, this was just the second year since college basketball added the three-point line that season-wide, nationwide three-point shooting fell by more than a a total percentage point. It was down to 33.3%, down from 34.4% last year. It is the lowest sport-wide single-season number. I'm reading my old tweets on this. Um, since college basketball introduced the three-point line in 1986-87. Now, of course, some of that is probably down to moving the line back. I think we can all agree on that. But I, I also have this theory that that we've kind of reached critical mass on three-point shooting, that, that like it has, you know, for 10 years, it was this thing that was a great equalizer, it made elite offenses elite. It turned Steph Curry into probably the most trans- transformative point guard of his generation. I would argue the most transformative player of his generation, but you know we don't need to get into that debate tonight. Um, the idea of spacing the floor, you know, it, basically in response to the big boy basketball that culminated in Shaquille O'Neal's dominance with the Lakers in the early two thousands was to just shut off the paint and just shrink everything down. And you look at like those old Pistons teams as examples, just shrink everything down. And so the, the NBA's response was to space everything out and say, we're just going to shoot the lights out of everything. 
And then that, as it always happens in any sport, trickles down and trickles down and trickles down. Um, and you see this in lots of sports. I think, you know, certainly the idea, for example, of like, I remember when all of a sudden people realized tight ends could catch passes in the NFL and everybody wanted to find, you know, a power forward from the Mac who had good hands and turn him into a, a tight end because Antonio Gates did it. And it trickled down and it trickled down. And all of a sudden people looked around and said, you know, but we still really need them to block. And so then like it went back in the other direction of looking for guys like Rob Gronkowski that could do both. I just wonder if we're also reaching a point of critical mass and three-point shooting because whether it's because of what coaches are telling kids or simply what kids are thinking themselves, every kid thinks I've got to hit threes. If I want to play in the league, I've got to hit threes. And it doesn't matter if I'm a one, a two, three, four, five. I need to prove I can hit threes. And I need to prove that I got a face-up game and that I can three and D and I can stretch the defense and all that stuff. And I just wonder if we've gotten to a point where between coaches overemphasizing three-point shooting when they don't have the personnel to do it and players worrying too much about the ability to shoot the three because of the layers that it could add to their game in college and certainly beyond. We've gotten to a point where I'm not saying Indiana doesn't need to shoot the three better. Of course they do. But where that is not quite the weakness that it once was because the the like the mountain is kind of coming to Muhammad a little bit on this and no well, I, I just I need a minute on that you've That's, never heard that you've, got, you've never me, heard me, that phrase let me say one thing dustin real quick you but you've got to have the guys who can hit the shots to create the space for the things that's my point with indiana needs to right. shoot better exactly. i just don't know that indiana needs to shoot as yeah. much better well, no. as people think they do you know I coached a I coached a kid, Dustin. I I don't mean to cut in on your your interjection there, but I coached a kid, Jason Holsinger from Lapel, who went to Evansville, and this is a kid that was an Indiana All Star, played on the same team with Dominic James and, and Armand Bassett at the point. All right, so I had three basically mid to high major point guards, three Indiana All Stars who were the point guard who who played the point, and there were a lot of rotations where I played the three of them together. And there was a game I remember specifically where Jason went one for seven or one for eight, what, whatever it was. He, he made his probably his second shot, his second or third shot of the game. And the rest of the game was because they knew who he was and because, well, I just stopped there. Because they knew who he was and what he could do, that he hit one of his first two or three. It was like, oh, my God, we've got to get out at him every chance we get. And then, oh, by the way, Bassett, and Dominique were getting to the rim at will because there was always one guy who would never leave the whole singer in the corner. And despite a one for seven or one for eight game, whatever that stat was that game, because I remember telling him specifically, you were enough of a threat that you helped everybody else. And you just need that one guy who you have to, that has to strike fear in the other team. And, and it's, and maybe in some cases it's incremental, like Franklin, like Hunter, like Fennessy, like whomever. You know, maybe even Justin Smith gets to a point, God forbid, where you kind of have to maybe guard him outside the three-point line. It doesn't. You don't need a great shooter necessarily, but you need to be able to be have multiple threats. You need to be able to, and it's just to create the space. Even and it doesn't matter what system you run. I mean, I'm a big motion guy. 
I'm a big and I love the blocker mover that Indiana's that ran this past year with for you know for Coach Miller. It it creates so many more openings that if they could just have one guy out there that changes the gravity of the court on offense, Trace Jackson Davis gets three to four point three to four points more per game, just because you can't no longer collapse on him from all sides of the ball. Now there's one side of the ball or one side of the court that can't collapse on the paint when Trace has the ball. And it it may just be that one guy. Hopefully it's multiple. Hopefully it's Franklin gets a little bit better. Durham gets a little bit better. Hunter gets a little bit better. And then Hunter may be the guy they expect to be a lot better. Um, you know, maybe Leal is able to stay on the floor defensively, able to stay on the floor as a freshman to 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 showcase his ability to hit shots from three point line, all of a sudden those little bits of changes just equal up to where Trace looks even better because now you've got all this space, and it, it does sort of go to what you're, it does go to what you're saying, Zach. Where there's other important aspects of the offensive game that isn't just about shooting, um, but it is that space you create by by having one consistent threat or two or three other guys who can, who have improved to where it just changes the scouting report to the point where now there's so much more room. Now all of a sudden race Thompson is one dribble away from getting a basket. Trace is one dribble away from getting a basket. You know, Brunk can score from the low post with, with fewer double teams, you know, whatever that may be. But, you know, it's, it's definitely not, um, I don't know that they have to have Steph Curry, to make that big of a difference. I don't know if that was your point. I've sort of lost. No, I, I guess it's more like, do, do they need to have Nick Zizloft, you know, um, to, to, to make a difference? I mean, it's, it's. Well, it's a different offense. No, it's, no, it is. It's, it's, it's more just yeah. the idea that is, is there a guy, I mean, you know, like it became clear. One of the, one of the, one of the signature like moments of Yogi Ferrell's senior season that I can remember is a pass he threw to Nick Zizloft. Well, there's, there's two of them. There's one that he threw to him um, when Zizloff was just floating into the corner in an exhibition game against Carlton in 2014 when they went up to Montreal. And then they, they, they drove to Ottawa for the Carlton game. And they beat Carlton. And a lot of it was like Zizloff maybe hit four or five threes that day. And, um, you know, we got to interview Zizloff, I think maybe for the first time as a group since he joined the team. And we asked him, you know, is that your offensive game shooting threes? He's like, yeah, you know, I, I like to shoot threes. I can get over in the corner. I can put it on the floor a little bit. And Yogi just looked at him and kind of half joking, just said, no, just stay in the corner. Yeah, um, just stay in the corner. It's all, but that's but all then it takes. There was, there was but also a, there was also a, a pass. It was against Maryland on senior day when they were playing that Maryland team that was supposed to win, like was supposed to just run the big 10 and Turgeon screwed it up. Cause you know, and that's what he does. Um, I can say it. I can't get fired. And they, 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 they got out ahead early and they just never let up. And Maryland was never in the game. Anyway, there was a play where Yogi broke his cover down off the dribble, got into the lane and he never turned his head. You watch replay. He never turned his head, but Zizloff just kind of floated from the wing about halfway from the wing to the, the top of the key. And Yogi just threw a pass back over his 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 left shoulder that hit Zizloft right in the pocket, and he hit the three. And we were talking to Zizloft about it after. We're not forget exactly what he said, but that was kind of the moment when, like, I that was the moment when I realized 
that Yogi Ferrell always, when he was on the floor with Nick Zeisloft, Yogi Ferrell always knew where he was. Like there was never a moment when Yogi Ferrell did not know where Nick Zeisloff was. And I don't know that you need five guys that shoot 39% or better, but Indiana could stand to have one of those guys. Like one guy that whenever Rob Finnessy's on the floor, he says, where is he? I need to know where he is because if all of this just goes completely to pot, I'm just going to put my head down. And when I pick it back up again, I'm throwing him the ball. Well, that, that back action read is taught. I mean, it's, it's, it's specific. It's, you see that a lot. Ever, if you ever watched D'Angelo Russell play, you know, when he was with, with Brooklyn, and, and especially when he was with Brooklyn, that back action read is taught. It's almost instinctful. You throw this pass because not because of the offensive player being there. That offensive player is coached to be there. You make that pass because the defender is here. And that means this pass here is open and it's you're taught to read the defender and not look for the open guy. In other words, the, the pass, it's a blind pass based on where the defender is, based on where the help is. And that's I'm not saying that that's I'm sure at that point that's what Yogi's reading in that situation where we all think, Jesus, you know, this guy has the eyes in the back of his head. The reality is that's taught. And you, you see that a lot at advanced levels. And, and I think high major basketball is, is advanced enough where you get that. But it is, it is definitely a, a read based on trust. It's a read based on, on consistent drill work to where defender is here, pass goes here no matter what. So Yogi's throwing that pass, whether Zizloff's there or not. It's Zizloff's responsibility to be there, you know. So it's almost like you credit Yogi for making the pass. Really, it's you're crediting the, the, the need. The, really, the reality is you're crediting Zizloff for making, for being the second guy making that read. And, and now both of us have stepped on Dustin's point that he was going to make earlier. Hell, he probably forgot what he was going to say. Sorry, Dustin. First off, like, Zach's right. Uh, like, just to go back, because I like laughed at Zach, and I didn't mean that to, to laugh at the point. Uh, I just laughed because, like, at Zach saying mountain coming to Muhammad because that was the most Zach thing I've ever heard in my whole life. And I, I, I miss Austin. And that is what I miss. There's no way that's the most Zach thing you've ever heard in your life. Probably not, but it fits. It was just, I was like, it was perfect. That was my point. That's why I laughed. I enjoyed that. But, no, I mean, I, I, and, and, I, and this all kind of plays into the same thing. I think what Zach's right in saying is that you don't have to get on the point, like, this idea that you need five guys who can shoot threes, you don't, you, you, you don't, you, you can win um, with less than that. You, you can win with, you know, I, I think a four and a five that, that are more back to the basket guys that aren't necessarily stepping out. I think the issue is though, is you need somebody, you need a guy at either the three or the four that, that, that opponents have to step out to guard, you know, one of the, or, I mean, the, the five I think is less because I mean, a lot of times the fives option is going to be out of a pick and pop action. And basically, you're going to have, you know, defenders right sort of there anyway. It's not necessarily spreading out the floor that much. I think that's one thing you saw um, with that 13-14 team with Yogi and Vonley, where they were the two best shooters. And basically, guys were in the same place. As much as they, you know, you had a big guy that could shoot it, you weren't necessarily spreading anybody out. You know, guys were kind of shooting it from the same place. Um, So, but that is, I think, the thing is they just need somebody you know, one, you know, whether it's a small forward or a power forward, uh, a guy that's just going to require somebody to step out. So you can't 
bodies in the paint and just leave them there. And because that's, you know, what you started to see uh, at points last year was just there was you, you could if you're a defensive team, you can just leave three guys in, you know, your three biggest guys in. Uh, just standing there and just waiting for somebody to try to drive it or waiting for a post entry, you know, then you're going to be able to immediately double without having to go that far. Um, and that really caused them issues. So, so I don't think they need somebody at every spot to shoot threes. And I, and I, I think you are going to see um, a, a not, it's not regression to mean, but like to, to Zach's point, I think you are going to start to see people being like, you know, if you're a big power forward, man, just take somebody in there and beat somebody up. Um, but you, you still have to have some of this concept, some of this idea uh, of space in the floor, because otherwise you're just going to have you're going to have too many bodies in there. You know, if you've got two big guys dealing with two bodies, you know, and maybe one other guy can come in to, you know, double off of each of them, you know, you, you still got a one-on-one option, but if you've got three dudes down there um, and, and other guys can sort of shoot in, you know, that makes you much, much easier to defend. So it, again, it's not like they don't, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's Trace. Maybe maybe Trace picks up an outside shot this year and plays more four uh, and becomes a guy that you've got to defend all over the place. Um, but if not, it's, you know, get more minutes for Hunter at the three. Just just don't have it so you have three guys uh, who can only really beat you in the paint. Um, that, I think, makes it a lot more difficult for them to operate and function. It doesn't have to be, you know, everybody on the floor, but I think it has to be three. It has to be three guys, and I think one of them has to be uh, either three and four, three or the four. So just just so you have to respect it. Well, mechanically, between the three of Trace and Race, Trace, Race, that rhymes, and, and Brunk, I think Trace is the least, God, I, as much as I love him, He's the the least of the three as far as mechanically the ability to stretch out their game, at least based on what we've seen the last time we saw them play. Um, it doesn't mean he's the least effective offensively, but, you know, the NBA game, you've almost got to have three consistent shooters on the floor these days um, to create the kind of space you need for what inevitably becomes a, a two-man game with, with some pick-and-roll action. And the college game is is getting more and more like that. And a lot of that is because you're seeing just a lot more length and a lot more size and a lot more athleticism at all positions. And, and that changes the coverage on the court defensively. And if you get a situation where – and now that IU has lost to Ron Davis and not really replaced him with any other size – you look at Justin Smith now playing more minutes at the four, which is what they had under Crean, um, or I'm sorry, which is what they had the first couple of years under Archie. I mean, this was the first year where Justin didn't get a majority of his minutes at the four, if I'm not mistaken. Um, this year will get to be a little bit more of that simply because of numbers. And I think that Justin is a kid that, Probably if he's in a catch-and-shoot opportunity by the time the season rolls around, if there's a season, um, will be a competent threat, maybe. You guys can laugh and argue with me later on that. But you'll see, we'll see more lineups this year with, let's say, Fennessey, let's say, Durham or Franklin, and then let's say Hunter and Smith along with Trace. And what we would call small ball lineups. Well, I mean, you uh, you look at Kim Pomeroy, one of the more underutilized pieces of his statistical profiles, for me anyway, is his, is his, um, his rolling um, average of lineup frequency. 
So like down near the bottom of every now at the bottom of every team's page is their most by, by percentage of time on the floor together, a team's most frequent lineup over the last five games. Justin Smith appears as the three in six of the top nine lineups in Indiana's last five games. He appears as the four in only one of the ten. When in he, terms of minutes or in terms of efficiency? The, no, this is this isn't like to, in terms of percentage of actual minutes played. Like okay, in, in okay. terms of the percentage of the game that this lineup is on the floor together. So obviously, the most used lineup is the starting lineup. That's you know pretty right. common. But and he he nominally anyway starts as the three. Uh, you know, with Jackson right. Davis as the four, Brunk as the five. But the second most used lineup has Race as the four and Justin Smith as the three with Trace at the five. The third most used lineup, and this is just in, this was in Indiana's last five games of the year. But this theme was pretty consistent because I can remember doing a lot of looking, like looking a lot at how Race Thompson was phasing into the lineup as his role grew in February. Um, he's the Justin Smith is the three with either Trace Jackson Davis or Race Thompson as the four in. In six of these nine, six of the top nine lineups, six of the ten lineups, period, but six of the top nine, he's only the four in one of these top ten lineups, or yeah, top ten lineups, and that one's got Trace at the five and Jerome Hunter at the three. It's the fourth most used lineup, right. and so and and what? listen, this this can get condensed. I mean, from like Indiana's fourth fourth most used lineup is you know occupies four percent of its minutes. Indiana's eighth, ninth most used lineup occupies 3.6% of its minutes. So, like, you know, you are splitting hairs a little bit, but my point is he's already getting deployed a lot as the three. Um, How many of those lineups have Duran? And that's that's, that's the point I was making. Only one. Only one. Only one. And he didn't play a ton. No. Third third most. Trace Jackson Davis is the center at the basically seven of the ten. Um, the most dominant lineup again is the starting lineup with Brunk as the five, but Brunk only appears in one of the other ones. Most of them are Trace Jackson Davis at the five. I'd, I'd like to see efficiency numbers on those. I mean, just I mean, I've I've grown to be sort of a small ball guy, and I think people mis I think people misinterpret small ball as being physically small. I mean, small ball is almost almost skill set related as you would be size related. I mean, if you, if you got, I don't know what a great, a great example would be, but like if you've got like if, if, if Justin Smith can play the four and maybe that example, but it's uh, I'm not sure where I'm going with that. Cause I, I'm not able to think outside the box here of like different types of NBA lineups. And I really don't want to compare college basketball with NBA lineups, but but if it's a situation where you know Justin is able to be successful on both ends of the floor from the four spot, even as a guy who might be able to get clean cleaner looks from the three point line or cleaner looks from range, the the in that Indiana only has three what I would say viable paint you know post players in, in trace this year this year being trace and um and and race and bronc 
there's going to be more rotations where Justin's playing that four spot. And it'll be interesting to see how that impacts the offense, both in terms of structure and both in terms of, of, um, of uh, efficiency. I, I'd be curious to see what those lineups look like efficiency-wise and, and how often, if, if at all, the Indiana relies on those types of analytics. I, I don't know much about their structure. I mean, obviously, I know, I know Butler relies a lot on analytics. I'm, I'm assuming at some point most colleges do these days because of the, the ability to throw people at it. But uh, the people at it from behind the scenes, like managers and and people that they would consider to be staff guys that aren't actually coaches. But but um, you know it'll be. Um, I, I just think Indiana will almost because they don't have four true post players, they might then force themselves into more versatile lineups, and I think that will help them be better offensively than what they were this pat these this past year, especially. Tell me I'm wrong, damn it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I could see that, certainly. Um, you know, it just, again, like you said, I mean, there's... I mean, that's how I build my team. That's how I build my teams. And we all know AAU coaches, we, we all have foolproof methods of team building. <laughs> the, um, but, no, it's it's nice having bigs who could, you can do different... It's nice having a bigger two that you can do different things with. Um, and... I don't know. I sometimes I really like Justin Smith, and and sometimes, well, you know, we, we don't. And by we, I mean everybody else on Twitter. But but um, have we have we beaten to death the fact that IU needs more shooter? Uh, you know, at least somebody else who can step up and hit shots. Um, I also just wonder. What, I mean, I think there's a I think there's potential for it to come from somewhere else. And and what I mean by that is like so Indiana's best three point shooter last season's out there. I mean, shoots. 38.3%. He actually shoots slightly better in Big Ten play. He shoots 39% in Big Ten play. Um, and to go back to the Big Ten comparison, I don't know the numbers in front of me, but, like, there was a point last season where if he'd had enough attempts to qualify, he would have been third in the conference in three-point shooting. There were only, like, two guys that were shooting about 40% from behind the three-point line in conference. Um, but he only takes 94 shots. He only takes 94 threes. Devontae Green takes 165. Now, Devontae could also have some faith in his pull-up three that probably Al Durham didn't have. But if you do get Christian Lander in and you are maybe able to play a, a truer sort of two-point rotation between him and Fennessey and Durham spends more time off the ball, you know, I mean, the natural assumption is that if a guy takes – you know, if, if Al Durham shoots 38.3% on 94 threes and you give him 60 more threes, I think the natural presumption most people make is that his shooting percentage will go down. But what if it doesn't? And what if you actually have a 39% three-point shooter on your roster that you just need to find ways to move off the ball a little bit more often to get him those threes? You know, I mean, it, it, it it's not it's not perfect because, of course, it could go down. But I think that there's also the potential for there to be some fixes on this roster. I think Armand Franklin's going to shoot a lot better than 26.6% going forward. The mechanics of his shot, his feel for finding shooting pockets, you know, his, his, his ability to know where to drift to catch the ball and those sorts of things. Um, I think he's going to be maybe not like a, an elite three-point shooter, but I think he's going to be a better three-point shooter. 
And so all of a sudden, if if those two, if if Al Durham stays the same, but on a greater percentage of threes, that brings your number up because all of a sudden he's replacing Devontae Green, but with a better number. And if Armand Franklin goes up to even Devontae Green's number, 35.8%, that brings your number up. And it does start to get to a point where you sort of feel like, well, all of a sudden, you know, Indiana's got these some at least basic solutions to these problems without having to go for a grad transfer or need something to explode on. I mean, I'm cool with a grad. I'm cool with a grad transfer at this point, but I mean, that's, that's a one and done type scenario, but it's, um, I don't, you know, I don't, you know, it's weird. Last year they had one, what I would say three, that would be Hunter who didn't start. I, I don't know that I view Justin Smith as a three. I know they had to play him there. I know that they're probably, in a lot of ways, there were times, especially early in the year, when he could get that baseline drive on, on their blocker mover where the ball side post, if he's on the side with the ball side post, that gives him a chance to catch, sweep, and drive baseline, which is perfect for his athleticism. Um, but him only playing the three, I think, limit limited IU at that position because it, it kept Hunter off the floor more. And maybe some of that was health. Maybe some of that now, if, if Hunter's healthy and, and looks good in practice early on, looks good in workouts. We know once we get into the fall, once we get into the, the fall semester, um, you know, Indiana only had one, what I would say, if I view Justin Smith as a four, let's let's restart this premise. If I view Justin Smith as a four, that means IU only had one three and one point guard, one natural point guard who got quality minutes last year. And everybody else had to sort of work their way into to positions and to rotations. And I think that impacted their efficiency. Now you, I don't view Devontae Green as a point guard, or I didn't view him as a point guard. Um, I had no faith in his ability to manage possessions. I had way more faith in Durham's ability to manage possessions. Um, but then what Zach said, where you, you all of a sudden you put, you bring Lander in, you add, not only can Lander, if we project Lander's ability to score, maybe not to the, obviously the, the volume that he does for Evansville rights, but if you, if you bring in his ability to get downhill, his ability to hit open shots into the equation, you move Durham more minutes to the two. Maybe sometimes you're going small with Franklin and Durham at the two and the three. You know, you're putting Smith at the four. You just got a lot more lineup versatility, I guess is where I'm getting to. You've got a lot more rotation versatility this this upcoming year than you have specifically the last two years with Miller as the head coach. And, and I think that makes them better. Um, obviously, the proof will only come out is if they have guys who can hit lightly contested to open shots because that's what will create the space that then gives Bronk, Trace, Race more room to maneuver in the paint. And and that's obviously the inside-out perspective. Um, but, it, but it's a balance. You know, if you, if you don't have either of – if you don't have enough of either, you know, the, the – the opposing defense can scheme and muck things up as, as much as they can, especially the big 10 teams when you're really, when you're really facing top notch scouting reports. So anybody got anything on that? 
Dustin. Yeah, no, that, I mean, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. Uh, I was talk about babbling. I was babbling a lot there. <laughs> the babbling part's fun. No, I mean, like you said, I mean, like there's, you, you have more creativity that you can do, uh, you know, with the four guards. I mean, you're, you're going to have four guys that have, that have handled the point uh, at some point. I mean, Armand, not that much, but obviously had to play a, a little bit of point the first couple of games. Um, but, I mean, you have more opportunity to mix and match at the one and the two, and you have more opportunity to mix and match, uh, you know, at the three, four, and five. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line is that there are, there are different ways you can shift guys around. I mean, just about, you know, just about everybody on the roster is going to be able to play more than one position. I mean, with, with I guess, the exception of Brunk is the only guy that you can say – is right. only a five and can only possibly be a five. I mean, everybody else can be, can be, can be, can be two things. Maybe you know, there's probably not, maybe there might not be anybody who can be three um, positions, but there, in, in most cases, you know, almost everybody else is going to be able to have on the roster is probably going to be able to play two spots. I mean, like, do you want, you know, Lander's probably a one and a one only from for defensive purposes. Um, I would think I, I don't know that you want him running around on Big Ten two guards. Uh, as a true freshman, you're, you're, you're going to be okay. If, if you've got a two point lineup with Finnessy and Lander together, um, you know, you're going to feel a lot better about Finnessy guarding the two. Um, but you, you don't feel bad about, you know, that's an imaginable concept. I mean, you don't, you don't love the idea and there's only certain matchups you'd be willing to do that with, uh, where you're running two guys out there, they're six, two, six, one, uh, to, to guard a backcourt. But I mean, it's, it's conceivable at, at a, you know, against certain lineups, you know, certain things you might want to do. I mean, Indiana literally did it and won a big 10 championship in 2013. With, with Yogi. Right. And all. So, I mean, but they also had, but they also had Cody Zeller and, and Vic who could. Yeah. yeah no, no, that, that's fair. I mean, yeah. But I just, I think that honestly, in a way, like it's, it's more about re reimagining like Archie Miller's never had the ability to play three guards at once. Because right. he didn't, he didn't have the bodies. Next year he will. And and Dustin, your point about nobody really has the ability to play three spots. Al Durham may be that guy. That's true. Al can play three spots. Who am I? Kidding? I mean, Al and and that's a lot of it is, totally be, and maybe he played the point this year out of necessity. Right. But he, but you know, it, it wasn't like he was bad at it. Go, Zach. Finish what you were saying. My bad. No, that was it. That was it. Yeah, That's it, we're done. No, that was it. <laughs> no, no, no. It's no, just, I mean, it's, I mean, it's the idea that like if Al Durham doesn't have to play point guard, yeah. then yeah. maybe you get. I mean, like maybe genuinely, maybe if he takes 143s next year, his three point shooting percentage goes down. But what if it doesn't? Is my point. Like if it if but it, it if it do, if, if it doesn't go it, down, then all of a sudden you've got your volume three point shooter, and all you right, had to it, do was bring in another point guard, so you didn't have to ask him to play out of position. So if it's often. high enough, like anything else, you've, you've got a level of expectation or, or a level of of requisite efficiency to where if Durham's at this level or any of them are at this level, it doesn't matter what his volume is. I mean, I'm a big believer in you let shooters shoot, you cultivate scoring. You know, and I don't care. I usually have, and I realize this difference between coaching high school AAU versus coaching D1 college, but but I wouldn't view the I wouldn't view it differently in terms of if I've got a guy, whether hopefully it's more than one guy, but if I've got two or three guys who I really can rely on to shoot the ball, they have the ultimate green light. And if their percentage consistently remains at a level that I view acceptable, which for me would be thirty seven percent and up, you know, maybe thirty eight percent and up, 
especially if we're a good rebounding team, you know, if we're an average rebounding team, I'm going to be like, dude, get your shot. You know, do what, do what you need to do to get your shot, even if that's in transition off no passes or just like one pass to advance the ball. Um, I'm not a big believer in dribbling up into a three, but if it's one pass and we're shoot, if we can get loose that way in transition, great. Um, but in, in, in my case, it's not always who the best player is. It is definitely who the best shooters are. I mean, my, sometimes my best player may be the guy that has to get something out of the offense. He's not a guy that can just absolutely get a, a complete green light three in transition. But, but I usually have the ability to recruit your own team is, is quite liberating. You usually have two or three guys that I hunt when I put together a team where this kid's got a green light. If he plays one minute a game or he plays 20 minutes a game or 30 minutes a game, whatever it may be, he has a green light anytime he touches the ball to get his shot. And what I mean by get a shot, I mean get a, a catch and shoot, whether it's transition, kick, coming off a screen, whatever it is. And, you know, I think it would be nice. Lander could be that guy. Lander shoots the ball. Like when Lander played Carmel against Evansville Wright, I, I will say, I'm a Carmel guy, that made that apparently known in all forms of media, social media, and, and oral media. Um, when Lander, Lander at 21 against Carmel, but it was a tough 21. He had to work his ass off for it. But what impressed me the most about him, there were three times, especially in the second half, where he came off screens and was right away catch shot, boom, right with people in his face or a person in his face. And that one person was Zach Wack or Josh Wack. Sorry, was Josh Wack. And despite being a pretty good defender for a sophomore, actually a really good defender for a sophomore, Landon was able to get a shot off over that kid. And that was the best he looked the whole day. I mean, Carmel won that game something like 63 to 38. I was surprised, glad we won, surprised at how, what the point spread was. But as good as Lander is, and as much as he had to work to get his points, the most impressive he was that game against a really good defensive team was his ability to come off screens, pin down screens, no less. So what that, what I mean by that pin down screen, what the difference is, is the cut is going away from the basket. So not only do you have... You have to catch and make sure your feet are set. You have to change your momentum as the ball's coming your way. You can't be catching and shooting a three-pointer when you're fading away and your momentum's taking you away from the basket. You really have to fight for your feet in that situation. And Lander was able to catch and look great in those situations and hit that shot. And and that bodes well for his ability. Now, what I know that one thing that, that IU loves about him and that most people would love about him in reality was his ability to come off a ball screen and get downhill and make plays and, or, in, you know, as per our discussion now, make shots. And hopefully he gets to a point where he's able to make multiple reads, but his ability to get downhill is, is why I think they're excited about him still being part of this 2020 class and having one more guy. I mean, we're talking about it now as if it's completely done. And he's going to be a 2020 guy. I, I don't, as much as the NCAA is loosening the restrictions and as much as we're screwed up with all this COVID-19 stuff, it appears that as long as Lander is, 
his disposition is he wants to be part of the 2020 class, he's going to be able to be part of the 2020 class. Yeah. So he's going to be able to be a guy that can get downhill. He's going to be able to be a guy who can come off screens, hopefully, and hit shots and and be a threat. And that's going to give us the give Indiana the lineup versatility that we've talked about, that Dustin's talked about, you know, when last time, you know, as he was going through his stuff. But it'll it'll be um, you know, it'll be, you know, telling. We've got to be able Indiana has to be able to find guys who can hit shots and and really diversify their their attack offensively because they've got the size and size to to get stuff done. So that's my tirade. That's my that's my rant. Are we done with Indiana? <laughs> I think we've covered it. I think we've covered it. Um, uh, no, uh, to, so, to, to your point on Lander, I mean, I've, I've checked in with them. It just comes down to the question of, you know, he, he's just got to hit a deadline, you know, and this, you know, COVID-19 actually helps in that regard because it does to yep. sit down and take an online class. That's just really what it comes down to is tacking on a handful of online classes on top of the other, you know, the, the class online classes he was already taken. Um, so it's just a question of just ripping through the work, you know, and he has more of an opportunity to do that because he doesn't have to go to practice. He doesn't have to go to the physical building of school. He gets up, he works out, he sits down and starts reading, you know, it's kind of his full-time job right now. So it's just a question of, can he get all the classes he needs to get done? Um, and you know, he's a smart kid. It's just a question of just being able to accomplish the workload between now and then. Well, one of my topics, I mean, we told you guys when we talked about this coming into this tonight that I didn't have a huge structure coming into this, you know, COVID-19's impact is certainly tangible right now. We're all kind of shut in, but for a kid like Lander, the impact is a lot more online classes. Um, If we don't have this traditional report to campus in June experience, um, a lot of these kids in across the country, not just Indiana, but a lot of these kids are going to be faced with situations where they probably won't be able to come to campus at the earliest until August because colleges aren't going to want to deal with the liability. They're not going to want to deal with, with just this, what it takes to maintain a, a campus, you know, campus facilities, not, not just the gyms and the, 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 the workout facilities and all that, but dorms and living spaces and cafeterias. Um, it, it, it probably is easier for him, right? Probably. Dustin, is that? Well, you mean, you mean like Lander or just Indiana more no, broadly? Just, no, oh, fre- freshmen, all freshmen. I mean, but like, a, like Lander, for example, Lander, let's, let's say, I mean, I don't know to the, to the nth detail of what he needs to do to, to be a 2020 kid. He seems fairly confident that he's going to be a 2020 kid. Indiana seems fairly confident he's going to be a 2020 kid. But let's assume at the worst case scenario, he's taking summer classes through July. And let's assume that he's not able to, what? He's not able to enroll under normal circumstances. Let's assume at the worst case scenario, he's not able to enroll like Deron Davis. Let's say he's not able to enroll, who obviously wasn't graduating early. But let's say he's not able to enroll until August, until basically the fall semester starts. The way things are set up now, he's not hurt by 
by by this at all. He's helped immensely. Well, yeah, I mean, he's not he's the, not falling behind. The 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 learning curve isn't so steepened by the fact that yeah, he's not falling behind. I think, I mean, we it's hard to assume anything, but let, let's assume that there isn't a, a conventional summer. Um, you know, Indiana, like a lot of colleges across the country, has canceled all campus events through July 31st. That includes all the athletics camps. Um, You know, I think they would certainly be in a position to mobilize the facilities for the athletes. Like if, if some, if the dam somehow broke in mid June and everyone said, okay, athletes can come back to campuses July one and we're going to have, you know, fall classes as something loosely resembling normal. Um, you know, I think the facilities could be fired back up to get guys in, but I think it's more – not guys, athletes, men and women. Um, but I think it's more likely that, that you know, it, it very – that the the likely best-case scenario is that everybody does come to campus for a fall semester, whatever that looks like. I think a lot of coaches more broadly are going to have, you know, kind of a a choice to make – in how they prepare their teams. And what I mean by that is let's assume that kids can somehow come to campus in something resembling um, a normal fall semester. Maybe it's delayed by a few weeks or, you know, maybe part of it's an online in-person hybrid. I don't know, but athletes can resume some functional level of activity in their sports, you know, we all know what the normal off season rhythm is. You get your spring workouts after the season to kind of, you know, close the book on, on everything that just happened, start setting the foundation for where you want players to move individually going into the summer. Then you, you know, you get some instruction in the summer, but you turn a lot of it over to your seniors, your upperclassmen and your strength coach um, to both kind of harden everybody's, you know, physical, mental toughness, emotional toughness, whatever. And also just, you know, you let your seniors, your juniors kind of walk your freshmen through, no, no, this is what we do. This is what we, you know, this is the way that this is run. When we're going through open gyms, make sure you think about doing these, you know, these things, whatever. And then you really dig into the the meat and bones of the tactical stuff when you get them back in the preseason. If Broadly speaking, everybody's first team activities are sometime at the beginning of whatever the fall semester looks like. I think what you're going to wind up with is coaches that either basically have to decide, do I want them to be physically prepared or tactically prepared? Um, I don't think there's a halfway house. So it's either do I just turn a bunch of my preseason over to my strength and conditioning staff and just let them – get these guys in absolute, not peak physical shape, but the best that they can do, get my freshmen as many pounds as possible, you know, get, get, get everybody as healthy as possible and then hope that, you know, I can coach them essentially through periods in the season where maybe under a more normal schedule, I would be able to, you know, just kind of point them to the chapter and verse and let them read through what I needed them to learn. Um, or do I want to just try and have the most tactically prepared team? I just think that, that 
when you think about it, and I think this applies to a guy like Lander more than most because he, he's trying to reclassify. He's not the biggest kid to begin with. You know, the, the when you talk about his learning curve, probably a lot of it is going to be physical. You know, do you – does Archie Miller look at his team and say, hey, one of my most impactful newcomers needs the time in the weight room, needs the time to build his body. And by the way, I've got a bunch of third, fourth, and fifth-year players – that know my methods, that know my system, that, you know, if I bark a really complex instruction at them, they're going to get it and they're going to know how to coach in real time their younger teammates through it. I'm just going to give Cliff Marshall all of August and September and I'll pick these guys up in October. Um, I just think it's going to be an interesting offseason in that respect because I think that coaches are going to need to come up with a lot of different plans, probably four, maybe five plans. Um, and I think that, that if, if we do get something even vaguely resembling the fall spring calendar, I think coaches are going to be forced to basically choose between, do I want my players really physically hardened for the grind? Um, even more, you know, more so than the average, whatever the average is in this, this weird year, or do I want to really put the tactics into them and then hope that I can manage them through it? Um, and I think that could be very important. Or I think that could be I, – I would be interested to see how Archie Miller transposes that onto Indiana because of the, the, the roster sort of strengths and limitations that I just mentioned. Well, they, presumably they have more depth. They'll have more depth this year than, than in, in the past. But I think a lot of that is because we're projecting that Lander might get some minutes. We're projecting that Hunter will be – full full go from the beginning right um and we're projecting that franklin will step into more minutes and then take your pick between leo galloway and and geronimo one of those guys if not two of them probably just one but we'll see we'll we'll provide minutes Uh, teams with more depth i mean teams with more depth are always at an advantage but but teams with more depth will at will find an easier pathway through this time because they'll be able to have more options coming through the physical and conditioning and what you were relying, what you were referring to Zach. It's, it, it, you know, it's, it's, um, I don't know. It's strange. It's, we're still adjusting, you know, we're adjusting real time to what, what this complete cluster is as far as this, the COVID-19 stuff and, and how it's impacting you know, things like recruiting and not, not just recruiting kids that are in high school, but rec- the kids that are coming in and, you know, new, new players and, and how quickly they can be indoctrinated. I mean, it's really, in, in some ways, it's no different than what they had to go through 15 years ago. And if you're a, if you're a new head, if you're a head coach that wasn't coaching 15 years ago, this is probably new territory. If you're a longtime head coach that has, history of what it was like before kids were enrolling in school in June. Um, you get a little bit more sense of what your calendar is like from a, uh, from a process standpoint and from a getting ready for the regular season standpoint. But, but um, you know, I don't know that, that at least that's what we know right now. And in, in, on what is it? April, April 23rd is, you know, we're sort of projecting this out. So um Hey Dustin, yeah. what what's it like coaching or what's it like covering Indiana, Purdue, and Butler 
Uh, it's at the same time. It, it, I mean, it's interesting. It's obviously different because just the format that we have isn't the exact same. It's not a situation like uh, when I was at Bloomington, and certainly, obviously, what, what Zach's going to deal with with the star, where you you have to write everything that that, that everything comes out. It's not like I have to write do everything on every team. Um, so that makes it sort of easier from a time perspective. But just you know, as far as the sense of you know being around each of these teams and just seeing each of these teams and how they work differently, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, um, you know, obviously from a media standpoint, it's a lot different. Indiana obviously has a bunch more uh, beat writers covering them, a bunch of just more just overall humans. So therefore, none of us get nearly as much access uh, as you get at, at Purdue and Butler. And Purdue and Butler, because there's less of a crunch you get to know them all better you get to see more of the inner workings and get better an idea of how they operate and, and how they relate to each other and, and um you know get a better sense of sort of what the you know what the philosophy is and, and how it uh works in so it's um you know it's it's cool to bounce around and kind of see those uh just the different workings i mean i, I think you're, you're you know at this point you're working with three you know intelligent very different guys uh and archie miller and, and uh, matt painter and and Laval Jordan, guys that are sort of at different spots in their career and, and at different spots in the program. And I think you obviously, I mean, Archie, I think, feels the most pressure uh, with Indiana being Indiana. You know, I think Laval obviously is in a position where, you know, they're used to winning, but there's this, everything just seems passed on. You're just kind of passing uh, the torch along where, you know, because of the things that have gone on in Indiana over the last 20 years or so, everybody does kind of feel like they're starting over and Butler doesn't necessarily feel that way. Um, and, you know, then you have Purdue with Painter, who is kind of a similar situation, but just guys had the baton a lot longer, um, and is much more confident. And therefore, you just—it it just everything over there um, seems uh, not not seamless. And they didn't have a great year um, at all, but um, you know, it, they just seem to have you know very much a plan and a, a group of guys. They know what kind of players they want. They know what kind of personalities they want, um, and it's it's a lot more seamless. So, but it's. It is fun, I think, and interesting to cover three programs that are in very different places, but are very proud. You know, in, individually have fan bases that care, have people that want to read your stuff because of that, um, and uh, you know, just be you know, be in a spot where it, it matters. And, that, and so, uh, so yeah, for all those reasons, it's a cool and interesting job. But it's definitely different, kind of seeing each each piece of this. Is there is there a priority based on readership, or is there a priority based on Real-time success. I mean, I don't. You, I, I don't know how that would. To work. Tell you, I mean, it's there's not necessarily a formula per se. I mean, and some of it just ends up being you know logistics. It's like okay, uh, who's got availability today that I can go to? You know, is, is right. you and Butler having something at the same time? Um, and you know, are you know okay? As far as like game coverage, it's like okay, you know, Indiana and Purdue generally take priority over Butler unless. Uh, Butler is the clear better team. And there was some times this year where Butler was the clear best team that I was covering. There were some Butler games that's a priority that usually wouldn't uh, because of that. Um, so, you know, I mean, you obviously keep in mind, you know, there is more, um, you know, Indiana, and, and it's different too in terms of the numbers. I mean, like, and I don't want to get too deep into them because there's probably, pri you know, pro proprietary stuff here. But, um, it, you know, like the Purdue fans, because they still feel like they feel underserved. Um, and which isn't necessarily always. They, 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 <laughs> that, I mean, they always feel. Yeah. They it's we're we're f twenty years into, maybe even longer. Gannett owning, mm -hmm. the Indianapolis Star and and the Lafayette <laughs> Journal and Courier, and the Purdue fans have yet to figure out that 
it doesn't make sense for them to have a Purdue beat writer for the star when the same freaking organization owns the journal and courier. And that at least for the time being at that point, like Washburn was the beat guy for Purdue. I know that's changed since then, but, but they've, they've never figured out that there's no reason for the star to have a beat reporter for Purdue when they can just siphon articles from the journal and courier and make it all part of one publication. But, but that's always been my like go-to rant versus some of the Purdue fans. It's just like, look, Gannett is covering both. It's just one happens to be the journal and courier and one happens to be the star. The article typically shows up in both places. It's just always written by the guy that lives in Lafayette. And they always view as they always view it as like somehow they're a second class citizen when it's exactly the same coverage in terms of space. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, I mean, no, you're not. Um, I mean, I also think some of that will always just be inherent. I mean, I grew up in a family that um, bent toward Georgia Tech just because of you know, my grandfather went to tech, a bunch of my aunts and uncles went to tech, cousins went to tech. And, uh, you know, if you think the Indiana Purdue thing is pronounced in terms of just like popularity with the average sort of lay person in the state, you know, Georgia tech, Georgia, it's, I mean, it's, it's probably like 95, five, like it's, it's, it's a very small section of the state that, that genuinely, um, would would choose tech over Georgia or does choose tech over Georgia. And I can remember, I mean, like I have very vivid memories or one very vivid memory of a weekend when Georgia played Florida and lost, favored to lose. Tech went up to Clemson and won. And I think this was one of the Woody Dantzler years where Clemson climbed into the top five and tech won on like a, a, a last second back of the end zone touchdown catch. And the whole top of the fold in the AJC support, the Atlanta General Constitution sports section the next day was Georgia losing to Florida. <laughs> and, you know, I just remember being beside myself. But, you know, then you get into it. And and I, I do think I do think this has actually changed even since I've perceived since I've been in this media sphere and certainly perceived the behavior of Purdue fans. Um but there, you know, there there will be an appetite for IU coverage in a lot of cases that supersedes Butler or Purdue or Notre Dame right. in Indianapolis. Really, sometimes even in some respects, there's well, even but, an appetite yeah, for IU football that precedes yeah, that, that, all this. That, 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 that supersedes or or outpaces, d- depending on the situation, Notre Dame football in Indianapolis. Because Notre Dame football can play big in Indy. But not always. Um, whereas IU is just an ever-present part of a lot of people's lives, even people that maybe did. I mean, you know, the number of like I know people who sit courtside at IU games. We're talking seats that cost ten, fifteen thousand dollars a year. That never went to IU, but they grew up in Indiana, and they grew up IU fans, and they went to college somewhere else, but they never lost that loyalty. And it's just, it's always going to be the nature of the big state school. And don't get me wrong. You know, I mean, believe me, people can believe me or not when I say this, but genuinely um, we try our absolute hardest to serve everyone, um, you know, as, as equally as possible. Um, 
there will just, you know, there will be times, not all the time, but there will be times when there's just a larger appetite for the in-state school. And, um, you know, the, the big in-state school and whether it's right or wrong, you know, it's, it's something that's borne out in web traffic and subscriptions and everything. Well, that's, and that, and that's fair. And for people to suggest otherwise is, is silly. I mean, the, the, the difference is, is again, it goes back to what I, I think what I said earlier and I, you can disagree with me if you want either one of you, but it, it is the journal and courier is owned by the same company. That's that owns the star. I mean, it's, Gannett properties, there's no reason for them to put multiple resources behind the same entity. And, you know, and, and I don't know how we got on this tangent. I was, I know it's somewhat I covered used, by the fact that Justin's covering three teams. That's how we got here. Do I? I used the word underserved and that's how we got here. Yeah. And it's, and, and even in, in Zach's Georgia versus Georgia Tech thing, it would be different. That would be more comparable in my opinion would be especially in basketball would be the difference between if, if Indiana only had two high major programs and it was Indiana, Notre Dame, you know, and, or maybe even better would be Indiana and Butler. I don't know how big Georgia tech is, but, but Butler is a high major basketball program or certainly a program that has a relatively new footing in what is at the basketball level of the, on the basketball side, a power six conference, um, you know, there are people who complain about Butler not getting enough coverage. There are people who complain about Purdue not getting enough coverage. And nobody complains about Notre Dame not getting enough coverage because in football they get enough and in basketball no one down here cares. Um, I mean, a guy like me cares, but I'm looking at it from a recruiting standpoint and in, in what options kids that I'm involved with or, or kids that I'm covering at the high school level might be affiliated with in terms of recruiting. But but, um, yeah, it, there were a few times this year where I wondered where the hell Dustin would be, you know, because, you know, IU, Purdue, or, you know, between the three schools, two of them would play at the same time and one of them would play right after it. And I remember the, earlier in the, early in the year before the high school season started, I go to a lot of my college games I go to before the high school season starts. And I know there was one time, a Butler game, where Zach was like, or not Zach, but Dustin was retweeting my stuff is sort of like his coverage for the Butler game. <laughs> and I don't remember. And I sure as heck didn't, I sure as heck didn't mind by any stretch of imagination. I just thought it even in real time, I thought it was funny. I was like, Oh, well, Dustin must be at Purdue or Dustin must be at Indiana because I looked over at the, uh, the media section. He wasn't there. In fact, I think I texted you that game. I'm like, where are you here? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, no, I'm at Bloomington. I forget where you were that night. I was like, okay, well I'll just keep tweeting. I think it was Cause normally when I, when I go to a game, I don't tweet. I just happen to tweet something and you were retweeting, or I happened to tweet a couple things yeah. before the game when you were retweeting it. And I was like, Oh crap. I was going to go like say hello. I, I think the thing that stood and, out, I, th I think why that was too, because I, 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 if I'm not mistaken, it was because, um, Butler ba barely had players for the first two games, you know? Like, yes. It, yes. Yeah. And I was, at, I was at Purdue and it was like, all right, Kamar's hurt. And you know, maybe McDermott was sick and Tucker had a, um, uh, as a suspension for playing in a league that he wasn't supposed to play in in the summer. <laughs> and it was like, you know, there was like 10 things that came down on Butler's head within like an hour of tip off. And it was, so it was like, okay, well, well what you, am I missing here? What's going on? Um, so I think I, 
well, you know games my... and it was just a mess because they didn't have any players. But yeah, no, I, uh, at that point, you know, especially kind of early on when there's no sort of rhyme or reason uh, to where everybody's playing, it's not like a, um, you know, when you when you get into the midseason, it's like, okay, you're going to have a midweek game and then you're going to have a, a weekend game. You know, so it, it it ends up sort of shaking out a little bit easier. But the beginning of the year, where you could play Monday, you could play Friday, you could play Thursday, you could play Sunday. You know, there's just right. sort of whatever. You end up having more conflicts, and you know, I, I end up in that case picking Indiana and Purdue a lot more, um, especially when we're talking about everybody's playing a nobody today. You know, like everybody's well, playing you know, major. And you know, my boy McBuckets wasn't sick, sick that game because right. Smiths was hurt. That game. That's what it was. Smith's, yeah. Smith's was hurt, so, you know, why am I going? I, I shouldn't say because I'm I become – I mean, I've always been a Butler guy. I mean, I've, I've been a fan of theirs. I, you know, it's one of those deals where you, you live here and it, it, it was a lot e- – it's a lot easier to be a Butler fan when they're a high major program, at least in terms of recognition. But I've been going to Butler games since I was a sophomore in high school. But, but um, you know, my boy McBuckets was playing that game because Smith's was hurt. So it wasn't like I was swarming to go watch a game where both my guys were hurt. And, um, but that was probably a game where, where Sean really, I mean, Sean had some really good games early in the year where he was scoring big because Kamar was hurt, you know, and because Tucker was, you know, wasn't playing. And, and, um, but now it was, it was, it was always interesting because it was always like, God, how the hell do you do that? I mean, like, and a lot of it is obviously you have those preconceived, structures set up you know you had those things set up when you take that job but um just a different world that zach's living in and and that's going to get to a question here in a minute but or in a second where you know zach has stuck in the iu world he's been able to move from sort of blogosphere to if i missed a step zach to being part of the indianapolis star where you're the, the beat guy um you know, I don't know that that's what you dream to be. Who knows? Longingly, Zach wants to go back to Georgia and cover UGA. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know how that works. But um, and now with COVID, this COVID nineteen stuff, you're furloughed once one week a month, right? I mean, talk about that how much you will. But right now, here's Demise Anderson transferring. Are you even allowed to report that? Are you allowed to talk about not reporting that? Or are we not allowed? No, I mean, I I don't think there's any, um, I mean, it's not a secret. You know, Gannett basically just instituted uh, one week a month over the second quarter. Everybody's furloughed. I think there are some people that are, because of the sort of day-to-day importance of their position, taking a 25% pay cut instead of a furlough so that there's not a period in time when they're out of the office, but it's the same idea. Um, but here's the, during a complete dead, usual dead, well, there's usually some recruiting stuff going on right now, but it's mostly offers, maybe a late, maybe a spring signing, but here we are. are you, were you able to write anything on Demisi or would you? No, no, I, no. I'm, 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 so I'm a so sideline, sure sideline fans. Yeah. Make sure Zach Osterman fans who love everything he writes understands that you can't write this week when there's a there's a transfer away from indiana it's it's not because zach's not on the ball it's because zach is it's functionally shut out of his of his workspace for a week so um you know that that's for the the people at home who are wondering why is this not you know why are we not seeing something 
who's covering the the, the Mezy Anderson transfer at the Indianapolis Star right now? Uh, it, it'd be John Blau because we're now what it now everyone's everyone's owned by the uh, the same um, uh, the same. Is that your? Is that the sports director at the Star? Is no, it's it's the it's the IU writer at the Bloomington Herald Times. Oh, really? Oh, is are they owned by Gannett now? Yes, that or, that's happened in the last twelve months. There you go. Okay, so that gets back. To, okay, all right. I did not know that. Yeah, no, I mean it's so it's it, it, it it starts to get inside baseball at a certain point. There's no there's no, no doubt good. about that. Well, yeah, it, I mean we're I mean obviously we're all working in strange times here. Like, I mean, it's funny. Zach is with a paper where he probably gets, his, he gets the salary. Zach or Dustin, you're at a situation where you're what subscription based. Maybe no, I mean, I'm salary too. I mean, or, or are you salary? Okay. Subscription based. Uh, but I'm, and then I'm the guy that can't get fired. So <laughs> no, I mean, I, but I'm the guy not making any money yet on this, at least on this. a week, then, you know, I don't eat or anything like that. Uh, no, I mean, we're, we're all full time and we, we view it the same way. It's just, we don't have, um, we, we, it is more subscription based. I mean, there's, there's more to it than that. I mean, there's a lot, a, a, a lot of, we get a lot of money from in, in investors and stuff like that. Um, you know, that's not right. cool there. Um, well, yeah, the, yeah, the athlete's not worried about making yeah, money just yet. That's, that, this point, and, yeah, that's not at, a, at this point. Yeah. I mean, it, but it, it's, yeah, we're just less, it, the, the difference is just, it's less advertising based, you know, we don't really. Um, right. Do a lot in terms of advertising, but I mean, like our, our the base model is to make sure it's subscribe, you know, subscribers is sort of what we're, um, you know, really after. It. But but it's it's it is a situation where if you're full time at the athletic, you're full time at the athletic. It's not like, uh, you know, there's and not to say that we could never ever be in a, in a situation where we get hurt in some way. But uh, you know, there are guys who are um, we we had freelancers. We haven't been you know. Um, using that as much during COVID obviously because there's not outside right. stuff to cover. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's just, you know, it, it is similar situation to no different than Zach, but it's, you know, it's the same as an hourly job and we don't want to have to clock in in the same way and like, you know, file overtime or anything like that. It's sort of like, Hey, you go do your job. This is it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's not like linked directly to, you know, two performance numbers, you know, like your, your salary doesn't go up and down based on that. So, and then I'm the guy that's lost 90% of my income through mid June, at least probably a little longer now. Um, but I'm not making my money necessarily doing this, but it's, it's something that hopefully will grow on the, on the high, again, high school basketball side, you, we're on different sides of this, of this uh, media coin, so to speak, mine's more, mine's almost str- strictly high school, but um, as it relates to college, you know, as it relates to college recruiting and college basketball is how we've met, but um, moving on, I guess. Um, so we kind of have this, I, we have two things. We have the IU mafia, the IU manager mafia, which was, uh, which was Dan Block, Dusty May, Ron Sanchez, and uh, Dan Beret, all of whom are two of those guys are Ron Sanchez is the head coach at UNC Charlotte. Dusty May is the head coach at, oh, I'm going to forget now, um, Central Florida? No. 
so bad. Um, daggone it. Dan, Dan Block is is selling is is selling uh, is pharmaceutical sales, and then Dan Bure is an assistant coach at Jacksonville. Part of that was um, Dane Fife when he was the video guy at Indiana, when those guys were managers at Indiana. And, and how I got to know them was through through Dane and through um, Dusty and, and, and Dan Block. And that's sort of the second layer of IU guys that I got to know really well. And then that's sort of how I got to know Mike Pegram and, and some of the early bloggers in the IU sphere. And then eventually you guys came along through, I assume, journalism school at Indiana. And now we have what has become since, especially since social media, since Twitter sort of became prevalent in, in sports reporting around 2011, 2012, we've got this broad base of, of guys coming out of Indiana into journalism, which would be you two guys as you know, part of that group, the sort of the IU media mafia. And so it's you two and and who else am I missing? It's like, is it Bozich? Is it, I mean, the younger Bozich, of course, am I missing anybody? I'm, I know I'm missing people. I mean, I know there are guys that have been through it. I mean, I, I went to Penn state myself, um, but. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Okay. No, so, I mean, I think. Between, so how the hell do you end up here? Corman. <laughs> Corman. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. No, Chris um, was, you know, he and I went to school together. We were best buddies in college and um, you know, he, uh, was looking for a gig and, you know, took a shot coming out here to the, the Herald Times in about 06, 07, something like that. Um, and uh, then after that, I think when Doug left, Doug Wilson left, um, you know, he got promoted to sports editor. He needed a guy and, uh, you know, we got in touch about it and uh, ended up working out basically. So I've been here since then. Uh, so it just feels like we went to IU at this point because, I mean, I married an IU girl and everything. So, um, you know, I almost feel like I, I, you know, I'm like kind of honorary, uh, not quite. Zach will shoot me down on that. Um, but, uh, no, that's right. you know, but yeah, no, it's, it's been a, well, I've, I've got an IU degree. So technically, I mean, I could, I got an IU degree. So mm-hmm. tech, technically, you know, I, I, I'm not part of it, but, uh, the, um, but Zach, what's your, your background then? Am I, I mean, you're, you're you know, I mean, I just, right? uh, what I always tell people, my stock answer is I just went to Indiana and just kind of kept um, finding reasons to stick around, you know, met a girl, got a job, got another job, got another job. You know, I think there was a time in this business when the, you know, the route was to go somewhere small and cut your teeth, either a, you know, maybe a significant staffer but at a small paper like the herald times or you know you could be lucky enough to get into a place like the washington post or the chicago tribune but you'd be reporting you know the you'd be the third preps writer and you'd have to spend 10 years working your way up to you know a a a bigger you know working your way up basically the beat ladder until you've got a big job like wizards or redskins or something like that um, I think that's kind of changed, you know, in no small part, because unfortunately, a lot of those extraneous jobs have disappeared. You know, there aren't a lot of papers out there that have more than two preps writers anymore. Um, you know, frankly, there aren't a lot that have more than one. You know, I mean, we have only one IU writer, despite the, I mean, if you look at just my pure traffic numbers, 
Um, I'm always one of the biggest traffic drivers of the paper. You know, I'm always ahead of both the Colts guys, but then the flip side to that is there's two Colts guys. And so if there were two IU guys, it'd be different, but we only have one. And so it's kind of comes down more to basically establishing yourself, you know, as an expert or I don't know if expert's the right word, but just, you know, building, building yourself an audience within um, a wider readership and really sort of, you know, exploiting that or, you know, uh, solidifying yourself, I guess, in that. I mean, I got this job because, I had spent two years at 24 seven. And so they saw my experience on the beat combined with whatever skill I may have as a writer reporter. And they said, we want to bring in your knowledge and your expertise and your built in audience. I got the job at 24 seven for virtually the same reason um, that, you know, I'd been inside the hall for a year and a half. And so it, it doesn't always work that way, but I think it works that way more often than it used to where, you know, to use an example of a colleague of ours who I hope is feeling better, um, Bob Kravitz, you know, ask yeah. Bob, he's, he's got a map of the world etched on his back. You know, he's, he's, he's worked in New Jersey. He's worked in San Diego. He's worked in New York. He's worked in Denver. He's worked in Indy. Um, he's worked for newspapers. I think he worked for Sports Illustrated for a little while. You know, that used to be more kind of the way. I think now it can work that way in some respects, but I think it's more often that you see somebody get onto a beat, entrench themselves on that beat and then move their way up. And then, you know, eventually if you're good enough, if you put in your dues, you might get a a more of a national job in some shape or form, but there are fewer of those too. So you've also got to be willing to really kind of make, you know, a beat your own, so to speak. Well, look, both you guys are, you, you both have been in a situation where, Obviously, Indiana sports, especially Indiana basketball, is very popular in, in this market, and that goes without saying. But it's but it's part of it. You both are really good at what you do, and you know, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully that um, that type of coverage. I mean, I'm a subscriber of the athlete. I'm a subscriber of the star, and you know, those are those are resources I I like to read. Um, and part of it is because I'm an IU guy, but part of it is I enjoy the, the writing that guys do. You know, I don't read everything, anything that comes across my line in terms of, of Indiana sports. I, I turn to certain writers and I know that in the past that, that we've had offline connections. Uh, I think mostly because I get to kids at a younger age and you're covering them as they're recruited. Um, but at the same time, I also know where I can put a story or, or talk to guys that I can trust, not only just will trust with the information, but trust in how they handle it. So, um, you know, hopefully as we get through this stuff and we come out of the other side of this, um, both are, uh, both you guys are doing really well because I, I know in the past individually, I've enjoyed talking with you guys and, and collectively tonight, I've enjoyed this. And um, I know Zach has to go. He's got a child that he has to that he has to take care of that I know I don't have to deal with. Dustin, I don't think you've got any kids. Not yet. No, that you don't. Not yet. Not yet. Not that you know of. Not that's my my pat line is not that I know of. But, <laughs> but that's also borderline offensive as it is borderline humorous. But uh, but um, unless either one of you have anything else you need to add, you want to. 
touch on. I mean, we didn't talk about little 500. I wrote that down. That that would be this weekend. We could all yeah, I'm say all, a quick, I'm, I'm okay. quick homage. <laughs> Not, uh, You're good. I mean, you were really depressed the be- before we came on. Yeah. Yeah, I've been swerving the Facebook memories it's this your, week. And now it's your fault we don't have time to talk about it because you have to get Yeah, that's that's fine. You have to get sleep. You have to get sleep because an infant well, has to get up. Yeah, I was going to say sleep being a relative term. <laughs> I had to shut my eyes for a while. The only other question I had that I didn't get answered is who the hell's Chronic Hoosier? <laughs> <laughs> Does he have a real name? We're not going to tell you online. Uh, okay. Yeah, he'll kill you. All right. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he makes himself known. At some point, you, you know, you, you don't find Chronic Hoosier. Chronic finds you. There you go. Well, that's the difference between me ever. <laughs> See, I'm one of those IU guys that went there for a year and <clears throat> didn't necessarily love blooming, didn't love being away from home, didn't love being away from my car. So I didn't spend a whole lot of time in Bloomington. And, uh, but I, I enjoyed my I enjoyed my time on campus. But at the same time, um, my father was only willing to put up with so much basketball over uh, playing at the hyper versus going to class. <laughs> and uh, luckily, I was able to get it figured out. But it was at IUPUI instead of uh, Bloomington, so I don't have the uh, the hangout Bloomington phase that you both you guys probably have. But uh, Actually, Dustin, you've already said you you went to Penn yeah, State. Yeah, but right? I mean, I had my five years when I was living there, so even there you go. College, yeah, that's right. That's more fair. than enough time in Bloomington and taking it in. So not, not the fair. exact same experience, but you know what I probably lived. Well, so twenty two. So wrapping up, Dustin, people can catch your work for Indiana, you know, Indiana athletics as far as as well as Purdue and, and Butler at, at the athletic or at the athletic, athletic correct? Yeah. And Zach, your uh, your your Indianapolis Star, Indiana University beat writer, primarily f- basketball, football. Do you dabble into any other? Does it dabble into any other sports? Or a little bit. Of, I mean, I mean just a little bit of kind of what else? I mean, women's basketball, soccer, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you're a big yeah. You're a big some, soccer guy. Some anyway. baseball. Some. Um, you know, I mean, baseball's become a lot more prominent in Indiana in the last few years. That's obviously yep. a big one. So, well, both you guys have a bigger following than than what I do as far as, especially in this, in this regard. So I appreciate you both coming on again, thanking uh, Dustin DePirek and Zach Osterman for their time guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.